Welcome to Trove Talk, your weekly gaming and getting to know you podcast with Trevor Starkey from trevortrove.com. And this week, joining me, still working on the intro, so I'll, I'll eventually get that like sorted out. But joining me this week, I've got my friend and fellow Phoenician-ish Arizonan, uh, Cameron Abbott from Naughty Gamers. How you doing, Cameron? Hi. Yay. Oh, repping the Arizona State shirt and everything. Oh, yeah. Less on purpose and more... Um, I'm wearing like a really ratty undershirt and it's like, ah. I need to put something over it. Yeah. So I chose my equally ratty, like decade old Arizona state Jersey. Nice. Well, uh, for people that don't know you, uh, introduce yourself a little bit, Cam. Uh, well, my name's Cameron Abbott. I'm the unsexiest comedian that you know, and the man whose face is built for radio. Nice. And, uh, and, uh, you do naughty gamers. Tell me, yeah. tell us a little bit about naughty gamers before we dive into, uh, kind of the standard show format. Sure. Uh, Nutty Gamers essentially is a website and kind of a production company that facilitates different creative efforts. Uh, our primary one right now is the Naughty Gamers podcast, which is a podcast with myself and my co-founder Chandler Duggar. Uh, we just talk video games, what we've been doing relating to video games, what's going on in kind of the industry as a whole, kind of breaches out into comic books and movies and other pop culture. Uh, but what we really focus in on is really delving into kind of what's going on in the industry and, you know, games themselves that have come out. And the term naughty actually refers to, is it a double entendre? Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> but it actually refers to it being complicated or complex. So the idea is that we're trying to kind of dive through some more complex issues. I think we've been able to do that with a couple of them. Uh, luckily, we've had... Like, uh, two weeks ago, we did uh, an entire episode about the Mass Effect series. And we really dove through that. That's a four-hour episode, like a four-hour podcast that I have to, like, for the video recording, I have still have to edit it. Yeah. So. Yeah. Nice. And, yeah, it's, it, sometimes you have guests on that go ahead and screw up and, and completely overwrite their audio. And, uh, and No, that just led to a lost then episode. Feel, then feel horrible about it because, yeah, no. you... You lose an episode. <laughs> we lost an episode, but I think we gained something a little bit more. Um, it's unfortunate because... There's mystique now. There is mystique. It's like, that's the last episode. Like, we're never going to get that back. So it's like, what? I'm not going to cry over some spilled milk, even though that milk had amazing Final Fantasy 15 details that didn't get out until, you know, you wrote that article. Yeah. Sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> it's fine. It's just... Like, oh, man, it, it was, like, so, like, such good detail about it and got me really excited about Final Fantasy XV. And we, like, referenced things that we talked about in the podcast, in the Point Five podcast, that nobody will ever hear. Yeah. And, but to me, I love that. <laughs> I love that kind of, like, nuanced weird stuff. What was it's, it? Dutch hype was our... Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Was our weird uh, little hashtag. Dutch hype. Hashtag Dutch hype. Dutch hype. Dutch hype. We also uh, because uh, you reminded me because we talked a little bit about Mass Effect in that because apparently it was a it was a very contentious um, topic with you guys. So oh yeah, uh, good to like, know it led to a a, a significantly longer discussion um, with somebody who didn't overwrite their their audio. So <laughs> no, that's right. uh, it was actually the first time Chandler, who is a friend of mine for more than a decade, and former roommate of mine. It's the first time that we've actually been able to talk about Mass Effect, specifically Mass Effect 3 and its ending. Because mm -hmm. uh, we lived together at the same time that you know we beat the game. 
And in fact, he beat the game the night before we moved into the apartment together. And so that was like at the forefront, the very foundation of our apartment was actually built on Mass Effect where our, uh, our Wi-Fi like router name was named the N7 network. Uh, like everything about our, like our foundation of our apartment was Mass Effect themed, and it became ashes in my mouth after Mass Effect three. But uh, I go, we go way into detail about that. It's episode thirty of the Naughty Gamers podcast. You can look that up if you guys want. Uh, if you find me all interesting. Yeah, I'll, so, uh, I'll definitely link to. I'll link to. I'll go ahead and link to that one in the. Uh, in the comments below this YouTube video. There you go. Uh, yeah, additionally, so that's the first kind of foundational podcast that we started. Uh, I created a tabletop RPG game called Alistair Manor that I'm still playtesting. And rather than just like playtesting in private, I said, hey, let me podcast this. And so Alistair Manor is a tabletop role-playing game podcast where I gathered a bunch of people who play teenagers in a private school where uh, essentially like they have to deal with regular things that every teenager has to go through. Uh, their, you know, crushes, exams, you know, pressure in sports and, you know, personal, like what direction their life is going to go into as well as the spiritual and demonic possession of the student body. Of so, course. Yeah. Typical things. that you have to Like, yeah. Standard high school fair. Of course. <laughs> As, as you've got up into it, I remember, like my uh, my high school apparently celebrated its 50th anniversary this week, and uh, like I found out like a night before that they were doing a big thing at the football game, and I was like, well, I haven't thought about that school in like 10 years, so I'm not going back. But it yeah. was, they were teasing because um, David Spade went to my high school, so they were oh, teasing, that's like, right. They were okay. teasing celebrities, and it was like, oh, is David Spade going to be there? I don't know, maybe. <laughs> If he is, he has more like uh, school pride than, than I did. I enjoyed my go. time at Saguaro, but yeah, I was like, eh. or I could just stay in and play video games tonight. I think I'll do that. There so you that, go. That was my Thursday night when I could have been celebrating 50 years of Saguaro High School. I think that's a better option. I, to be I fair, it's too. it's not the 90s. David Spade's not that big of a deal anymore. No, nope. It's pretty much just whatever adam sandler movie he's doing wherever they're going on vacation and that's about all he's doing these days so yeah so he's paying for adam sandler's vacations for him and his friends yeah all right well cool thank you for the the brief rundown in naughty gamers and uh oh, i actually have an exclusive oh. announcement for you trevor oh excellent this will go live monday so uh okay. I, so what's what's your hot scoop announcement uh naughty gamers is putting out a th- i know it sounds crazy that we're doing a third podcast but we are um, and this one is curtailed towards, it's called uh, Ugly Fat Saints. Ugly which is Fat a, Saints. Which is a take off Pretty Little Liars. Okay. <laughs> so okay. I'm sure you had Alex on, and I'm 100% sure you guys talked about the bro C at some point, right? Uh, I think briefly. Uh, yeah. it probably got like included in the laundry list of things that Alex O'Neill does, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I got in contact with some old friends who said, listen, we want to do a podcast and I don't know why they suddenly turned Ukrainian right there for a split second, but they did. Uh, no. So they just said, we want to do this podcast. Basically, we want to watch uh, you know, episodes of terrible television. So the three of my friends are married, and their wives all watch terrible TV shows. Uh-huh. And they watch them with their wives out of solidarity and marriage, also known as their wives making them. Yeah. So same, same reason when I had a girlfriend, we watched The Bachelorette and Pretty Little Liars. There you go. 
So essentially, we're going to have a rotation of shows that three out of the four guys will watch, and the fourth guy is like the uh, uh, the control group. The sounding and, board who has to like has to decipher what the show's about. Exactly. <laughs> nice. So it's uh, we just started laying the groundwork. We're going to start recording our first episode. Uh, I'm the first uh, control group since I've never seen an episode of Pretty Little Liars. They're going to watch an episode and then tell me about it in heavy detail. But there's they can only tell me about it not in like they're giving me a summary, but as though they're like local parents who are observing this happening and are telling me about it like it's a real thing. This is Ugly Fat Saints? Ugly Fat Saints. Nice. <laughs> well, uh, so when do we think we'll, uh, when do you think that's going to hit with episode one? Uh, probably uh, not this upcoming week where you'll be putting this up, but the week after. Okay. So the week of, let me see this here, the week of October 10th to October uh, 15th. So we'll probably have that out around then. And that's going to be on the Naughty Gamers YouTube? Mm-hmm. Excellent. And that's is that just youtube.com slash naughty gamers? Ah, no, we don't have enough subscribers for that. Well, I mean <laughs> when you when you create an account, uh you typically try and or you can like my YouTube is not snarky starky because it's like ASU Sparks, which was my like when I was at ASU and created mm-hmm. my YouTube account, that was like my login. So once I get to that threshold, I should be able to to switch it to Trove Talk or Trevor Trevor for, or something, but for new YouTube accounts, actually, they don't even get that. Oh, it's okay. a randomized jumble of letters and numbers. See, I haven't. I'm I'm so uh, old on the YouTube game that yeah. I I got in on the ground floor, but with some like a nickname that I stopped using a decade ago. <laughs> so good to know. What? Uh, so, but if they just Google Naughty Gamers, K N O T T Y gamers and i'll link it in the uh, yeah you can link it to the soundcloud because it'll go up as an audio podcast first okay so yeah mostly most of what we do is audio podcast and we're moving slowly into video Uh, as soon as like i get better at editing yeah that's i'm (laughs) i started with video and then we'll eventually get myself set up on a soundcloud because (laughs) i'm also sucking at editing but it's easier to edit like four chunks of a video out and just kind of do (laughs) <laughs> the solid cuts. So uh, I feel your woes. Yeah. Great. So that's, uh, that's cool. Uh, yeah, I just want the, to. Thanks yeah. for the hot, scoopy exclusive there. No problem. I was just, you know, I thought for to like myself. The, the 10, 15 people that'll watch this video. <laughs> yeah. And out of that, maybe the one or two people who might come over and <laughs> listen to the podcast. Yeah. And thank you, those of you watching. Yeah. And go and support Cam because he's awesome. Um, cool. Well, uh, so you're familiar with the format of the show, right? Uh, Mm -hmm. Go topic by topic. We're going to talk about gaming things and then some non-gaming things and then uh, random grab bag of things. So uh, let's go ahead and dive right in with topic one. What is your gaming history, Cam? Go ahead and tell me how you got into this whole, whole, the whole shebang of Cameron Abbott, nerdy gamer. So the first time I ever encountered video games, um, it is a story that is told in my family. I do not remember it very clearly because I was like two or three years old. Already, uh, you're setting it up very well. Like, yeah. this has been passed down from days of yore. <laughs> <laughs> you know, this is that get like buckle in, buckaroos, because this is how it usually goes with me. <laughs> so, in 
So I was about two or three years old. And at the time I was actually being fostered by a family member. So my mother was on bed rest due to complications with her pregnancy with my little sister. And my dad worked full time. And then my three older siblings, none of them were old enough to take care of a kid. So I got sent to a relative and traditionally fostered for until I was about three years old. Between like one and three, I was fostered traditionally. Uh, which is weird because when I mentioned like I have a foster mom, people immediately go like, oh no. It's like, no, no, traditional, not social. Um, it's, but I, it's still, it, I feel like it's it, like, if anything, that's more rare, right? It is. Today it's more rare, which is really, really sad. Um, I, but I had like my, one of my, fr my best friends growing up, um, uh, his, like one of his cousins ended up being fostered with their, um, with their family for, uh, I don't know, like from like eight to probably 18. Um, he just kind of moved into their family. So yeah, it, the thing is, it happens, I think a lot more commonly than people know. They just don't know what to call it. They don't yeah. know that it's called fostering yeah. because normally foster, like you say foster and foster care comes up and that's the social apparatus about fostering, but there's an entire like older way of doing it. So I was fostered for a period of time with my aunt and her daughter, her daughter who I've come to recognize as my foster mother. Um, and I, but I was on a trip back home. So they didn't live too far away. Just, they lived like, lived, my family lived in Mesa. They lived out in Gilbert. And so it wasn't too far away, but far away enough that for a two year old, you don't want to track them out every day. Yeah. So I showed up on a Saturday and normally when I showed up, apparently from what I'm told, this is, all secondhand from what I've been told. Uh, my siblings would be really excited to see me and I'd play with my siblings for, you know, five or six hours and then get ready to go back and, you know, spend time with my mom and things like that. Apparently though, they had just gotten the Nintendo entertainment system, the NES and they were playing Mario. Excellent. Super Mario brothers, the original. And as they're playing it, you know, my, one of my siblings had the controller and everybody's like glued to it. And I, so this is, this is telling for me. My first interaction with video games was not one of love. It was one of envy, mm. one of hatred. How dare this machine take my siblings away from me? And so I decided to take care of it at the root cause. I followed the plugs from the back of the Nintendo to the back of the TV and I unplugged them. <laughs> so that was my first experience with video games. But because of like that really young nature of having video games around, my earliest memories are of blowing in a Nintendo cartridge, mm -hmm. you know, doing the P man. When it comes to the NES, people get superstitious about that machine. Oh yeah. No, that's, that's totally been like, debunked routinely oh yeah like even back then it was like don't blow in the cartridges but everybody blew in the cartridges you had to blow in the cartridges that's how like oh there's there's dust that's that's causing issues with this connection see as a kid i didn't like that was not i was just saw my older siblings do it so i said okay if i want it to work i have to blow in it i have to put it in i have to like bounce it up and down a couple of times <laughs> and then i turn it on and if it doesn't work i do it over again also, you see, like, the, the little patterns of OCD pop up. There you go. Yep. Oh, it's got to yep. go up and down twice. <laughs> yeah. 
Like there's just a ritual to it. Remind me again, uh, how old are you? I'm 26. So I was born in 1989. Okay. So that's, I mean, so like you... It was pretty late. My family... Yeah, pretty late in the, the, like, I mean, the NES had been out here for a few years by then. Yeah, the SNES... Just by you being born, (laughs) so... Yeah. No, my family was, uh, we were middle, middle class. So like your central middle class. Although at the time, I think we were lower middle class, like kind of getting towards lower class. Uh, cause we have five kids. Mm. When you have five kids in the family, that's, you can uh, make like a middle-class salary, but live the lower caste lifestyle because that's just how it is. Yeah. Makes sense. We lived in a three bedroom house and we were like bursting at the seams. Uh, grow for like the first five years of my life. That's was the reality that you had to share beds. You had to share everything because there just wasn't another option. Mm-hmm. The bed, like bedrooms couldn't fit more than one or two beds in them. So you had to buddy up and eventually like my older sister got old enough that, um, you know, the boys couldn't sleep in the same room. Uh, so we had to have our own room. So we got this other room. And that meant my mom lost her like sewing room and it like, we were just bursting out of the seams. But I remember some of my happiest memories being in that house just because we had a tree house in the backyard nice. that my dad had built. Uh, we had, you know, we had the Nintendo that was just hooked up to the TV and just, I have memories of just like in the middle of the day while my siblings were at school, just me going up to it, putting in Mario, Super Mario Brothers three was my, like, that was the, the, you know, the best game that we owned at the time. Yeah. Uh, Cause I couldn't play duck hunt cause my, my hands weren't big enough to go around. the, the gun. <laughs> Okay. But I could play Mario. Like, I could play it. I could understand it. I couldn't run in Mario because I was a kid. Uh, You know, I was just doing it very carefully, very methodically. And I remember the first time I beat the first level, you go to the backstage part of it where you have to jump up. And I'm just like, this is amazing. And I remember, like, moments of, like, my siblings showing me tricks and little things while I'm playing. Uh, Just, you know, very fond memories of the Nintendo console. And, of course... This is way after the Nintendo had come out. The SNES had been out by now. Yeah. Uh, but and even though the SNES had come out and everybody was playing the SNES, my family still had the original Nintendo and nobody else had that. Okay. So we were like the NES kids. Like we had, oh my gosh, we had a lot, like we had too many games. We had too many Nintendo games. Most of them didn't work because they were worn out pieces of garbage <laughs> that we found at garage sales for like 10 cents. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was definitely the the like the era where uh, it was like we weren't trying to be the first to own everything necessarily, or unless you were like really well off in one of those families. It was very much you got the system when you got it, and then you mm-hmm. just made the most out of it. You played it at like I mean, it's like like uh, was somebody was talking recently on, uh, on one of the shows. It's like Mega Man. You can beat Mega Man in like. 40 minutes, 30, like, if you're, like, and then speedrunners can obviously do it faster, but, like, the games were so difficult that it was, like, you had, you have to, like, really know those games to beat it in those times, otherwise it was just, okay, well, I'm, I'm gonna play this for hours and hours and hours and learn this one level and then eventually be able to kind of, like, make it through this level without dying. But, I mean, that's how it was back then, and that's how yeah. games were designed. Yep. Games weren't designed to be easy that you can just play through at once. They were designed for you to, to die. There was ch- like when they say old games are challenging, it's because I think designers understood the cons- budget constraints of the average consumer. 
Well, it's also, I mean, it also is rooted in like the arcade game mentality, mm -hmm. where games had to be hard so that you were constantly throwing coins into them. <laughs> exactly. So you have this kind of this idea of like a budget constraint mentality for console gaming, but also the leftover, like the um, the kind of a Venn diagram with the arcade style as well. Yeah. Because there were a lot of arcade game ports on the NES. My gosh, there were a lot of arcade ports. Yeah. When your Nintendo, when your NES game says, "Please insert coin," like coin, <laughs> yep, and it's it has it listed as credits instead of lives. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, early games, yay! So, all right, so that's kind of yeah. your introduction to to gaming. Yeah, uh, uh, Mario, and then Super Mario Three, and then kind of. So, where do we go, like from there? So, so from like so, you're two or three when you're ripping the uh, the cords out of the wall. To, to ruin your your brothers and sisters' day, um, what uh yeah where, how long did it take then to get to, um, uh Super Mario three was that because you mentioned oh right away fostered like what, from like one to three so was this after you're done being fostered now you're mm -hmm. in the house regularly and that's when you're getting into to Mario yeah. three that's when my sister is old enough and my mom's healthy enough to have me back back living at home so like uh, early nineties now. Yeah, we're still we're still early '90s, uh, but you know, three three to four, and that's when like and the thing is coming over after I tore it out, uh, like they realized they had to show me what they were doing so I could understand that it's fun mm -hmm. and that they're not just trying to ignore me. And so they actually sat me down and introduced me to Mario. They introduced me to Super Mario, and so this is back when I'm living at home and I'm spending the like the school days playing video games while my siblings are at school. Got it. And man, it was just it was just fun. Like those are some really fun days. It was uh, Scooby Doo in the mornings, video games, then Power Rangers in the afternoon. Of course. As you do. Uh, as you do. The original, uh, the original Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. That was on after I think like the Reading Rainbow on Channel Six. Uh, well, reading Rainbow would have reading Rainbow would have been uh, PBS yeah. on Channel Eight, but yeah, okay. like yeah, Power Rangers was definitely a uh, was a WB six show mm -hmm. here. Yeah, <laughs> oh, we're getting God, really into the that's, woods. That's that's going like that's yeah, way back in the in the weeds of uh, six or sixty one, depending on your team. whether or not you had basic cable or you had <laughs> yeah. the radio antenna. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> We're old, Trevor. We are indeed. Uh, before there was a CW. Oh my gosh. There was the WB, WB and UPN. UPN, oh man. Great shows so, UPN. Yeah, oh, anyway. Yeah. Uh, so so uh, Super Mario 3, you're, you're coming of age in gaming. You're playing that while you're doing like Power Rangers stuff. Yeah, the cognizant wheels are turning with Super Mario Brothers 3. I'm learning how to play games, and that really set up the foundation of you die, try again. Mm -hmm. You didn't make it through this time, try again. Try it differently. And really being on my own and doing that and knowing that there's something beyond this because I've seen my siblings do it. So it's not like I just have to get past this level. It's I know there's so much more out there for me. And so it goes from doing that to you know, other video games, baseball, uh, like the old baseball on Nintendo. Yeah. Where it's just like so, the the batter is up and you see like this little like 
white pixel float down. And then when you hit, it turns to like the white pixels on the blue background on the diamond, just like moving. And you have to like try to like, oh my gosh. Yeah. So with, uh, with so many siblings, did, was there like, did you guys like fight over game time? Oh, hell yeah. Yeah. That was oh, yeah. the, that was the great thing I had for me was that I was the oldest sibling. So like, it was pretty much like, if I wanted to play, I was playing, and then I would occasionally let my sister play, but she also didn't really want to play all that much. There you me, go. So it was yeah. mostly, like, my thing in the house. Uh, occasionally my dad would play with me, but mostly, like, if I was the one that wanted to play, I could play. So I didn't – I, I, I appreciate that I did not have to, like, fight for my gaming time growing up. I had to fight for my gaming time. That's why I had to play when my siblings were at school. Yeah. And it was a such a problem of contention that like that console got taken away numerous times. Okay, that was like grounded. Yeah, everybody's grounded. Nobody can use it. You're all arguing over it. The only thing my mother's ever asked for that she's ever asked for is like a nice, peaceful home, and we have just as her children have just ruined that that desire and want for years, because um, we're just a rambunctious, loud bunch, mm-hmm. and. If you think I'm rambunctious and loud, imagine, like, four siblings who are just as loud and obnoxious. That's a fair point. So how did you, uh, like, did you guys do, would you play, like, multiplayer games together? Mm -hmm. Um, Okay. Uh, And then just kind of trade off when, like, somebody died or something like that. Exactly. There there had to be... games back then had, like, four-player inputs. Yeah. I mean, some did, but, like, not... It it was definitely not the standard of of the time. Yeah, like no. the the uh, the the high end games like your mm-hmm. turtles or something might be able to do uh, four four player input, but and you had to have this special like implement for the four players. Yeah, you needed the extra the little add on multi multi tab ports and stuff. But what I will say is, uh, Gauntlet was kind of like that lifesaver. That's the original yeah. Gauntlet. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Absolutely. Yes. And were, were you a uh, warrior, uh, Valkyrie, uh, wizard, mage? Would it, like? What's the other one? Oh, I was I was totally wizard all the time. Yeah, just throwing spells. Fireball, fireball, fireball. Yeah, fireball, fireball, fireball. Uh, yeah. And then what was funny is that my little sister, when she and I would play, she'd want to be like the big buff barbarian. My little okay. my little sister, who's into like dance and you know <laughs> ballet and things like that. Uh, you know, she wanted to be the buff barbarian. And it was yeah. just like, okay, there you go. I mean, you got to go with the, the pixelated big muscly guy because, you know, hot. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> <laughs> no, she just did it because she's like, if I'm big and like strong, then I'm not going to die as much. And it's like, that's not how Nintendo games work, Sarah, but okay. Yeah. It's a, I mean, it's, it's nice in theory, but yeah, not, yeah. not so much in practice. Okay, so uh, any other like lovely critical memories of the, the Nintendo era? Not the Nintendo. Like we, we've kind of hit the. When did, when did we move on then? So what's interesting? So my family stayed in the Nintendo era throughout the entire SNES era. Mm-hmm. However, my aunt and uncle who lived in Las Vegas owned a Super Nintendo, and the only game they owned for it was Super Mario World. Yeah. So every so every summer, my family would go to Vegas because that's where my dad's from, and we would shout out to Stoke Danny, Danny Juarez. Stoke Danny, what's up? Also, to my aunt Janice, who's still living there, uh, her daughter uh, Lorraine, who is just like a total badass. I love her, um, and also uh, rest in peace, Uncle Reed. Uh, you know, was uh, was your aunt 
the your godmother there? No, 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 no. This is my my dad's oldest sister. Okay. Um, my dad's oldest sister and her husband lived in Vegas because uh, that's where my dad's from, and that's just where they still lived. Uh, they had that Super Nintendo, and they had it hooked up to like a little TV in the kitchen. And my brother and I would just sit there and take turns, me as Luigi, him as Mario, playing through Super Mario World. And that's what we did. Yeah. And what was that like? Like, did that, did that make you envious when you had to come back to your, your regular Nintendo? No, because to right. us, it was like two different toys. Okay. This toy existed there, and then the other toys existed at home. It was just, it was never envious. It was never, it, it was like two completely different worlds. That makes sense. Because at the end of the day, that Super Nintendo was just a, it was just a Mario machine, Super mm-hmm. Mario World machine. It wasn't until I ended up having friends that had like the Sega Genesis, the Super Nintendo, things like that. that you didn't I, know there was a wider world out there of, of yeah. Super Nintendo games. And then when I did, they introduced them to me and I became very, so I had two friends, one Josh, the other David. Josh had a Sega Genesis, David had a Super Nintendo. And I would play, like, we would just bounce around. My, like, I was the Nintendo kid. Like, the original Nintendo. Yeah. And there would be times where they're like, we just want to play original Nintendo. And we would just go back to my house, we'd bust it out, we'd blow in the cartridges, we'd, you know, power it up. But other times, most of the time, it was, okay, do we want to play Street Fighter? Or we want to play, like, multiplayer games on the Super Nintendo? We go to Dave's. Uh, if we want to play Mortal Kombat, because on the Sega Genesis it has blood. Or if we want to play like Lion King, because Lion King on the SNES was okay, but on the Genesis it was like insanely good. Mm-hmm. Um, Aladdin, however, on the SNES was the superior version we found Indeed. out. Indeed. I, I, I can vouch uh, for that. Mm-hmm. So, but like we experimented, we rented games from, <laughs> the only place that rented games at the time was Hollywood Video, because uh, Blockbuster hadn't picked it up yet. Okay. Uh, Hollywood Video and also, I'm trying to think, like FYE would like, not oh, FYE. Yeah. yeah, yeah, FYE would. Uh, FYE? FYE, yeah. You wouldn't rent video games from there, but you could like buy them on the cheap. Okay. And so it was that, and then there was like another like place that was just like a little niche shop that rented video games. But we just would play it, and... I remember, Just, like, I remember being able to rent video games from like the Safeway and stuff like that. That's like, right. That's what it was. It was. I think like it was at, like it was at Bashes. Stores, Bashes, and yeah, that kind Bashes, of stuff. Bashes. Like, had, had, that's what it was. They had like a video and DVD rental mm-hmm. section that was just like in the like the front corner of the store, and it was like they probably were just the, like the slim pickings from like a Blockbuster or something like that. Um, but yeah, like I like that is a vivid memory of like grocery shopping with my parents and. And okay, go pick out whatever game you want to rent from from Safeway. <laughs> yeah, from Fries or from Bashes, all of those had it. So, but we played through like amazing Genesis games, Super Nintendo games. It wasn't until Dave's family, like his older brother, really started buckling down and getting games that, like, I was introduced to Final Fantasy II. Okay. I was introduced to Chrono Trigger. Chrono Trigger changed my life. Ah. Like it was yeah, just like. like- I missed Chrono Trigger in the SNES era. I didn't get it, or I didn't come around to it until uh, PlayStation, and then eventually the the DS port was like where I finally like sat down and actually played mm-hmm. through the whole thing. But yeah, that was a that's like that was a game. That's that is a game, man. Oh, 
just so much goes on in it. All these different characters. Frog was my homie. Yeah. I'm a frog guy. What can I say? Like, I'm sorry. He's a frog who's a knight who is like on a, a total badass who's on like a mission of revenge, but then overcomes it and gets this awesome legendary sword that will end up becoming a like key eye, like a catalyst item throughout all of this company's games with the mass immune. Like the mass immune was the shit. So love, like I loved Chrono Trigger to the point where like I tried to finagle and find a way to get an SNES. I tried every way I could. I never could get one. And I just wanted Chrono Trigger. So would you just kind of play it when you were like at your friend's house? Yeah. And like, did you have like a reserved save spot on this? Well, uh, or did this you... is where this is where we're about to get into uh, what you could consider the the dark times for me. Oh. The Ooh. the rebellious times. The times where I the first time I ever raised that black flag with the Jolly Roger on it. <laughs> okay, Pirate Cameron. Let's talk about that. Oh man, let's talk about that. All right, uh, I I was a pirate. Like I pirated games as a kid. Uh, specifically, I found out about emulators and ROMs. And this is the thing. And this always killed me. The Chrono Trigger ROM had a bug in it that wouldn't let you play anywhere in the future. That's weird. So you would get to the point where it's the future, I mean, it was, and then you would just like get the early era of of ROMs and emulators. Exactly. So the ROM was bugged to the point where you would just get gray clouds. So I would just replay Chrono Trigger over and over again up to that point. Just, just like the first little first chunk, and then going back into the past a little bit. Going back into the past, and then jumping to the future uh, yeah. after the trial. Oh man, it's interesting. Ooh. And that was actually the first game that I remember, like, the choices I make during the beginning of the game coming back to bite me in the ass. Yeah. No, that's, I mean, that was, like, that's one of those those crazy things about that game is, like, like that was one of the first games that had, like, a new game plus mm-hmm. element and all the different endings of it. I remember the first time I played it, um, uh, like, I got to the, near the end of the game or whatever, and, like, it was like, this Megas guy has been pissing me off this entire time. Yeah, I'm going to kill him. And then it's, like... Oh, wait, I didn't have to kill him. He could have been on my team and been, like, the only guy that uses that kind of magic. Dang it. Why do you have to piss me off so much the whole rest of the game? See, I knew because Dave showed me uh, that he was in his party, and I was like, how'd you get Magus in your party? He's a dick. Yeah. But, yeah, no, so I... It's like, and it's one of those things that, like, I'm sure if I had, like, followed the game when it came out and and was in, like, all of my Super Nintendo or Nintendo powers... I would have known that, but because mm-hmm. I didn't, it was it was off my radar. I and came I came to it like well after it was like out of the conversation of games and like on the schoolyard and stuff. It was definitely one of those like, oh, I didn't know that I could do all of those extra things. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, it's cool. I mean, it's so I was pirating games left and right, um, just like SNES games. Mm-hmm. that I never played left and right. And this is right when the PlayStation and N64 first came out. Yeah, I, was gonna, I mean, and even then, like, that's... I mean, we're still talking, like, dial-up internet and stuff like that. So oh, hells yeah. Had to be, like, long downloads and, and stuff like that. Like, the only the only times yeah. I really... Like, I emulated uh, a little bit of stuff. I mean, even this was probably, like... Like, I, I have distinct memories of 
emulating like Pokemon Gold and Silver, like when mm -hmm. they, it was just the Japanese version before the American version had come out. And so I was like, I'm gonna learn Japanese. And so like I would download the games, and like I, <laughs> like I, my parents got me a uh, like a, an English to Japanese uh, like translation book. And then I was like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna spend my summer learning Japanese, and and just so I can play Pokemon. Did not, did not learn. No, Pokemon. that's not how that works. Uh, it, it did not, that did not pan out for me. Um, but I was still able to like play through those games pretty like well because mm -hmm. you know, like you know the basics of of what everything is, and it's like, oh okay, that means potion. Cool, I'll jot down that note, <laughs> and and so I'll know when I need to go to to potion. When I need a mm -hmm. potion, I'll look for those symbols. You know, actually, that brings up an interesting point: the Game Boy. So I had a Game Boy Color. Uh -huh. I got it because – so I have a long, long, long history of medical issues. <laughs> um, but I was going through a series of tests that were going to be pretty scary for a kid. And so uh, my great aunt, my grandma's sister, who – she was the uh, aunt that I was fostered with. Okay. Um, and so she's always been kind of like a guardian in my life. To the point where, like, they, she and her daughter loved me so much that they moved a block away from my family just to be nearby so that I could go back between houses. Uh, she, like, had another Nintendo at her house. But she had, like, the track pads so oh. we could play track and field over there. Because we didn't have, uh, you know, we moved into a new house when I was about five or six. And then when I was about six or seven, my aunt moved around the corner. And that's actually how I became friends with Josh and then later Dave because they lived on that side of the neighborhood. Got it. I just imagine little Cam running on the track pad. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Doing, and you were always doing the arm thing even though you never had to. Yeah. Because you got to, like, the character on screen is doing the arm thing, so you've mm -hmm. got to do the arm thing too. you got to do it. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, no, my friends had a game. So Dave had a Game Boy. And then Josh got a Game Boy Color. Or no, Josh got like a Game... Yeah, he got a Game Boy Color, and then I got a Game Boy Pocket. And I got Pokemon Blue. And it was to help take my mind off. I think they were doing like a lot of blood tests. Like they were sticking needles in and out of me. Um, stuff that probably would have been pretty crazy for a kid to go through if he wasn't didn't have his eyes glued to a little tiny screen with little uh, pixel monsters fighting each yeah. other. So, so who, was your, who was your starter then? As, uh, as squirtle. any conversation, you were a Squirtle? Mm -hmm. That's a respectful choice. So a lot of people are just like, oh, Charmander or Bulbasaur, and then, you know, those people who made the mistake and chose Bulbasaur. See, um, Bulbasaur was the easiest to catch other Pokemon with, though. That is true, the, because he was weak as fuck and wouldn't kill him. No, because you get Stun Spore, you get Sleep Powder, you get, uh, or no. I would did get, you pick, did you pick Bulbasaur? I, like, Trevor? I played with my sister, so like I would get all three starters for both okay. of us. That was how mm -hmm. I would roll. Um, I'd probably pick, like, because I, I uh, red was mine, so I probably, like, my first, first choice was probably Charmander. Um, but, I like, I would use Bulbasaur like crazy to, to yeah, stun and, and leech seed, because you could just kind of whittle down mm -hmm. uh, their health with that. Um, so, yeah, like, Bulbasaur is a G. <laughs> okay, so here's where you run into things, all right? I played the style of I had the ultimate Pokemon. That was my starter Pokemon. And all my other Pokemon were just there for HMs and TMs. Ah, okay. They were utility. That's, I call There's that only, the, uh, the Frank Bazzani method. That is the Frank Bazzani method, uh, and that is an accurate method, and I utilized it as a child. There you go. Yeah, no, I, played, I played much more like Ash in the show and would just get, like, 
get a whole bunch of Pokemon, and then I like I would have like a well balanced team. Didn't need it. I took a level ninety five uh, Blastoise into the Elite Four and Storm rolled them. Yeah, I don't think I ever got like I think I think that like the highest level any of my Pokemon ever got was probably like seventy. <laughs> Just beefy, beefy, beefy Blastoise that I used all the like little uh, little things to make his stats go up, and I maxed uh-huh. like I did as much as I could to max out his stats. Yeah. And then I just murdered. I just murdered the Elite Four. I murdered my rival. He's like, I got this Venusaur. It's like, great. I'm going to bite it. I'm going to bite it. Do you understand what I'm going to do? I'm going <laughs> to bite it. There you go. So did you play like with your friends and trade and stuff with them? Oh, yeah. You, like, of course. Yeah. Everybody had a Game Boy. This is during the Game Boy time. Yeah. This is, you know. Um, what was really cool is that one of my friends, Dave, actually, uh, had the... Uh, SNES cartridge that you could slide Game Boy games into to play it Super on the SNES. Yeah. The Super Game Boy. So he had that. That was really cool. I think I, I think I talked to Alex about that last week too. Like that. Like he had that. I don't think he had like a Game Boy himself. He just had the Super Game Boy cartridge. I think you didn't need a Game Boy. If you had I think that. that was what our our conversation turned into. There you go. So I did that. Um, that like so, and this is all leading up to what would end up being like. So for me, having friends that all had different consoles, we never had the console war for some reason. Like, it just didn't happen. Yeah. Just, what, like, it, wasn't, it wasn't as bad as, as, like, a lot of times make it out to be. Yeah. Uh, where it was like, oh, I've got... No, like, if we were cool friends, like, you just played the other system at your other friend's house. It was yeah, not, it's... It wasn't like, oh, this is so much better. I mean, in some things, like Mortal Kombat you talked about earlier, it was like... Oh yeah, no, we're gonna totally play that in the Genesis because blood. <laughs> but yeah, no, I totally we I was like we were the same way in my in my kind of group of friends. We like we had among us pretty much all the systems, and we just kind of like bounce from from friend to friend. Playing. Yeah, that's just how it worked. And so when I hear people talk about like, yeah, man, when I was a kid, I was like a Sega kid, so I didn't associate with Nintendo kids. It's like, why not? Why wouldn't you? Because you, you just would you want to play. You wanted to miss out on an entire, you know, system of games. Gosh, yeah. For pride. Oh, uh, because I, because marketing got in our heads. But the thing is, it didn't. So for me, console wars didn't start till um, until PS2 era, like the PS2, Xbox, uh, GameCube, GameCube era. That's when console wars actually, for me personally, started. Because mm-hmm. it wasn't when. Okay, I got an N64 for, like, my eighth birthday. Um, it had been a while since the N64 had come out, so we're talking 1998. Okay. So, console was probably out for, like, maybe a year or two at that point? Maybe. Uh, yeah, I don't remember. Uh, well, it's... It's 20... I don't it, Yeah, it just had 20 years, so... So that it's would have been 96. Yeah. 96, yeah. So it came out in 96, end of 96. I got mine in 98. Came with uh, Cruising USA and Mario 64. Cruising USA. So I, never, I, like, I feel like I only ever played that, the arcade version of Cruising USA. Same thing. But in comparison to its sequel, Cruising World, not as good. Okay. The, the prequel, like the first one was better. I don't need to go to Paris when I can go to uh, Desert Valley. <laughs> See, it was like, like Twisted Metal was where I would play like the world traveling, like car game. 
Like, I remember blowing up the Eiffel Tower endlessly mm-hmm. in Twisted Metal 2. Oh, my gosh. Twisted Metal 2 was the first game I ever saw on the PlayStation. Oh. So, Dave, so Dave got a PlayStation. His family had a PlayStation. And uh, all of a sudden, like, it was brand new at the time, so there were only a couple of games out. It must have been out for maybe a year or two at that point because there's Twisted Metal 1 and Twisted Metal 2. Mm-hmm. But they own Twisted Metal 2 because it's the superior game. Yeah. Uh, Twisted Metals only got better until at some point it fell off the rails. I always played Minion. I knew the cheat code to Minion by heart so I could unlock him and play him. The big tank. Yeah. I was just like, yeah, that's my dude. Uh, I played over. So he had a PlayStation. I had an N64. And then Josh got a PlayStation. And I was like, oh, well, I don't have a PlayStation, and they're talking about PlayStation games. And they're not really too interested in playing N64 games all the time. And I really want to keep playing these PlayStation games at home. Mm -hmm. So for my birthday, I asked for a PlayStation, and I got one. So you got an N64 for a birthday one year, and then a PlayStation, like, the next year? No, like, like two two or three years later. Okay. Yeah, right before the, like, I got it maybe a couple years before the PS2 came out. Got it. So, you know, so midway through the life cycle when it was, like, for cheaper. Um, it, they still hadn't come out with the PS1 yet because people forget the PS1 was a legitimate iteration of the PlayStation console. Yeah. It was PSONE. A more rounded mm-hmm. version of it, smaller. It was, like, effectively like a PlayStation Slim. Yeah. So there was like a like a slot. So for original PlayStations, there was a slot on the back that you could put in for uh, to break region codes, region locking, so you could play Japanese games on it. Oh. And but the one I got didn't have that slot in the back. It was a little bit smaller than the original PlayStation, so it was kind of like the the in between iteration. Uh, but we got it for cheaper, and I played started playing games on it. My brother at that point, was playing PlayStation a lot. Uh, so we had it in our bedroom, and he and I played... Oh, my gosh. So we had an N64 and a PlayStation. And then my brother got um, just a bunch of games from other people because he started working. And so he would... All of a sudden, we had, like, games. Mm-hmm. And it was fun. We had Tony Hawk Pro Skater. We had... <laughs> like, all, all the really great games for both N64 and PlayStation 1. And that was like a really cool like renaissance time that I was getting to know things. And that was also when I played Metal Gear Solid 1 for the first time. Or let me rephrase that. I sat next to Dave as he played through Metal Gear Solid 1. <laughs> I, To my knowledge, I don't think I've ever actually played it myself. Like played it all the way through myself. I played parts of it, uh, but I never did it my like all the way through myself. But I sat next to him the entire time. And it was amazing. And then it was also when I first intru- got introduced to Final Fantasy VII. Yeah. And that was the, one of the big standout classics of that one. So I had mm-hmm. it I had it on the greatest hits. Yeah. yeah. So. Um, when, because uh, you were, uh, one, of, one of the things we've bonded over is, uh, is Harvest Moon. Is this when you got introduced to Harvest Moon as well? Yes. Yeah. Back to, the, if, back to nature? Back to nature. Oh my gosh. My friend Dave showed me it. So Dave's family ended up moving uh, further, like, out of the neighborhood. And so Dave used to just start coming over on weekends. And he would either stay at mine or Josh, usually my uh, my place, but sometimes at Josh's. 
And it wasn't until Josh moved after that. Your that place it, wasn't crowded enough. Oh, no. My, so my family moved into a different house. And, but if I was going to have friends over, uh, I would actually go to my aunt's house, and they would spend the time there. Okay. So, and we used to just, like, hang out and just play video games and just have a great time. And my siblings weren't around, so it was like I was an only kid. Yeah. Going from, like, being one of five to being, like, the only child was an interesting experience, bouncing back and forth. Um, that my siblings to this day are still kind of jealous that I got to experience that. And it was usually a point of contention, but that's, we don't need to dig, let's talk gaming history, not Cameron's family history. (laughs) Uh, But you know, so I started playing Final Fantasy. So this is the first time I ever wanted a game that my parents started paying attention to ratings. So, it's also like around the time that ratings were a, like were a thing. They weren't like because they weren't even even when after you were really years, growing up, they yeah. weren't a thing. Like there wasn't a rating on Mortal Kombat. That was part of the well. Was, there like Mortal Kombat is what like triggered ratings to to come down the line. I did my like one of my high school projects on like the history of violence in video games, and that is like the trigger point is yep. Mortal Kombat. I mean, because like you also have at that time. That's when, like, CDs are getting um, the parental advisory thing. Like, that's when Congress was like, we need to protect our children. They went all <laughs> love joy on us. What about the children? <laughs> think about the children. children. Yeah. My, uh, so I remember going into a discount game store in an outlet mall. I, we were there to get, like, because, of course, when you have five children, of course you buy new clothes at an outlet mall. But there was a little, like, game store and toy store nearby that, like, okay, I had picked out my stuff. I could just go walk up. This is, of course, we're talking the 90s, when you could let a child out of your sight and not have to worry about somebody taking them. So, like, I would just be able to go over to the store, and I saw they had Final Fantasy VII for, like, 18 bucks. You know, this is the greatest hits version, so it's normally priced at 20 They're selling it for 18 and I basically said, Mom, like, could I get this game? And she said, sure. And that was the first time that she said, okay, well, it has a T on this. Why is this rated for teen? And the N64, we started to kind of, my parents realized that, like, Goldeneye, the red color coming down was blood. Mm-hmm. So my parents became much more aware of, like, ratings around this time. And so, but this is the first time that, like, the rating was going to stop me from getting a game. And it wasn't the violence. It wasn't like my mom was like sexual themes. I was like, you dress up as a girl for like to trick <laughs> to trick a mob boss. I was like, you you dress up like a girl to trick like a to trick a like a criminal. A pimp. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't want to put it like that. Trevor, yeah. I was trying to get the game, not lose yeah, it forever. Fair. And this is where it kind of came to a conclusion, though. She said, "What is this? What kind of language is in this? Because it has a warning for language." And I was like, oh, it's just like um, like the G word and the D word. You have stuff that you'd like see on TV. And she goes, oh, and then that fucker behind the counter. You ruined your day. Well, there's other words in there as well, but they do, like, they, they censor them. How do they censor them? They remove the letters and put little, uh, like, asterisks and symbols around it. And she's like, can you tell what they're saying? 
oh yeah, yeah you can. At that moment, I want to like just to reach over and like str- like as a like a eleven year old boy, eleven twelve year old boy, I've never wanted more ever to just like choke a bitch out. Just, it's weird because that's like the opposite story that you would get like nowadays from like a GameStop employee. Like, oh no, no, it doesn't have any of the, like. Oh, this like this PlayStation game. Yeah, you could play that on your N sixty four. Yeah, no, it'll totally work. That's how they would they would just make the sale. Because that's what it was about. This, this guy, guy like fight fighting the sale. Yeah, well, it's just like you. But then you also like, realize that it, like it sounds like this guy is probably like four years older than you. He's probably like yeah. a sixteen year old. He was. I, I've never wanted to like punch somebody harder in the face though. At that moment. <laughs> uh, oh my gosh! Just so she said no, and I was just devastated. Then we went back a week later to return something. And my mom said, you, do you still want this? And I said, yes. And so she said, okay. And she bought it. It's like, yes. That's, at least there's a happy ending there. There was a happy ending there. Just, I was so like elated. missed out on a week of escaping Midgar. <laughs> Actually, I think it was like a, like a month later. Because I was borrowed it from friends. I had friends who owned the game. And so like, I would borrow it until they wanted it back. And I would just like exchange it constantly. And so it was like a month later. My mom's just like, okay, you're still playing this game anyway. Like, and also I pointed out, I, I was such a little snotty asshole. Like how my parents just didn't like punt me and like out of the house at any moment, I'm still confused by. I mean, it I sounds like they did child. for a few years there. <laughs> uh, like I can't say that because that'll like break my mom's heart. She'll get really mad <laughs> But, uh, like, I was such a little asshole. And so, like, if we were watching TV as a family and a bad word would be said, I was like, that's said in that video game you wouldn't let me buy. But we're watching it as a family right now. Nice. Little snarky little piece of shit. Yeah. <laughs> sounds, sounds like a good good strategy there, Cam, to, to actually, like, win that over. Great, great debate skills back then. If if I can't have that game and we're saying this language, how can we watch the show? Oh, we're not going to watch the show anymore. My bad, everybody. <laughs> so, so, so Final Fantasy VII yeah. ends up being like a, a pivotal kind of game uh, in, in the life of Cameron. Any other mm-hmm. of that era? Of that era, PlayStation One um, and sixty four, sh- yeah. N64, uh, I'm probably going to have to say, without a doubt, Goldeneye, uh, Legend of Zelda, Legend of Zelda Mojora's Mask. Oh my gosh, those two games alone were just amazing. I mean, like, so N64 is definitely where, like, co-op gaming kind of stands mm-hmm. out in my head, because um, that was, like, the era where I would play with, with all those friends and stuff. So is that, are you that's playing, when, like, that's Goldeneye co-op with, gaming with your family, uh, like, and everybody's kind of playing and you're being a little dick and being odd job because it sounds like that's no. exactly the kind of player you would be. <laughs> I was not odd job. Okay. I was Trevelyan every time. 006. Okay. <laughs> but I, like, so you're playing that those games. You're playing like Mario Kart and. This is where I learned family. that I'm not good at video games. Because I was usually, and my brother made sure I do it. Uh, like all my friends were better than me. Like. Just I, I just I got used to being the punching bag in video games. Okay. Uh, just in Goldeneye, I always sucked. I, like I was always terrible at games. Mario Kart, I always got last place. I was always the worst player. And what's funny though is like if I played those games now with my friends, I would beat them. 
because they stopped playing video games, but I kept playing video games, and now I'm yeah. better. Yeah. Except at NES games. Like, you're just never as good as you are when you're, like, six. Yeah. Wait, like, because it's all muscle memory at that point. Mm-hmm. It's like you, you spent an entire summer playing Mega Man, so, yeah, you know how to play Mega Man now, and, and then you come back to it, and it's like, nope, this does not, none of this sticks with me. <laughs> I can't run through this without, like, gaining a mushroom or losing a life? Oh, shit, I don't know what I'm doing anymore. The noise that we all make when we realize we've made a huge mistake while playing an old game. Yeah. Universal sound of like, oh shit, what I regret immediately what I've done. So So we're also at this point where like you're just getting into like high school age. Is that no timeline of things? No, you're still no no no. I'm I let's see. We're talking. I am still like elementary school. I guess Mm -hmm. then. Oh yeah, no, it's okay. We'll we'll jump forward quite a bit when it gets to my teenage years, mm-hmm. uh, and I'll get into why that is. Uh, so, Final Fantasy VII um, on the N sixty four specifically, everybody wanted to play co op games, and I hated playing co op games because I sucked at them. Because you were bad. Sounds, I was bad. Sounds like a fair reason to not want to play them. But because of this, I started like experimenting and going into more single player games. Uh, Super Smash Brothers, I enjoyed playing. The thing is, none of my friends own Super Smash Brothers. I was one of the few kids that had the N64, and I didn't own it. Mm-hmm. Like, I would rent it, and it was fun, but it just so fun. Uh, Super Smash Brothers was not like a pivotal part of my N64 you know, education. Yeah. Which I think puts me on an outlier from almost everybody else, because that was like one of the must have games that everybody owned. Uh, but I mostly immersed myself in single-player games. And that's when kind of the PlayStation spoke a little bit more to me. And that's when I started being introduced to games like, gosh, uh, Super... Like, I was playing Street Fighter by myself. Uh, Street Fighter Alpha uh, 3 was probably, like, a big one for myself and my friend Dave, who would come by maybe once once every other month now at this point. Uh, so he would like let me borrow this game for like two months, get good at it, and then we'd play it over a weekend. Uh, also during this time, though, like, so Harvest Moon, I got Harvest Moon back to nature, and when I got Harvest Moon back to nature, fuck, I played the shit out of that game. Yeah, I played the living life out of that game. It's right back to nature. Harvest Moon back to nature is in my top five games of all time for sure. Uh, it just it is up there for. Every possible reason. Gameplay, sound, immersion. Localization. Hot, localization. Hot, chibi, yeah, Localization was shit. Oh, yeah, it was total shit. Yeah. Um, like, just, like, spelling mistakes all over that play, all over that mm-hmm. game. I didn't care, all right? Because what huh? me and Ellie had was special. Well, there you go. Because she only wanted flowers, and she would love me if I gave her enough flowers. Well, or everybody else wanted something of monetary value. And I have a farm yeah. to run people, all right? I'm raising chickens. I can't give you chickens. I mean, I would like I had no problem going and giving Anne an egg or going and getting a spot-boiled egg and giving that to Karen. See, Karen, Karen just kind of struck out at me because she didn't really respect her father a lot. <laughs> And I was like, you know, Karen, you're you're being really disrespectful to your father. I don't know if this relationship could ever work out. Also, you're into like the bum who doesn't, uh, or no, you're into the the farm boy. So I mean, that's cool, I guess. 
It was Potpourri. Potpourri was into like the deadbeat who would come around in summers. Yeah, Kai. Kai. Oh my gosh, I, I hated see, Kai. See, that was like, I would go after Potpourri as like a specific choice to make sure she stuck around. Because if she mm -hmm. partners up with Kai, she leaves town and, and you don't like, she's, you now don't have another person in your town. And I was like, no, I need to keep like my town intact. So well, I, I always imagine that she'd come back a few years later with a kid in tow and like a deadbeat, like the story of a deadbeat dad and husband. Yeah. So, Kai, Kai was never going to make it well out there. And he was only going to drag Potpourri down. But that's a lesson she had to learn on her own. I was, you... too busy, I was too busy making sure the 50-something-year-old doctor didn't get the hot nurse, okay? <laughs> making sure, yeah, because, yeah, Ellie. Um, would you... Uh... Uh, save Cliff and make sure he got partnered up with the job at the winery to make sure he stayed. Mm -hmm. the sure did. Season. Yeah, because Cliff's a good dude. Yeah, Cliff's a good dude. Cliff, Cliff just needs some direction. He needs something to like ground him. Yeah. And unlike Kai, who is a bum, Cliff just needed something to like help him belong to the town. And getting the job at the winery was definitely the right choice. He's a, and also he's really good at it. Yeah. And he's he's he becomes like a surrogate son to the guy he whose daughter like, ran off. He didn't grab that grape that he just kind of stand, stands in front of <clears throat> right off the bat. It made like finishing out the day there like a big old pain in the butt. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Going deep in the weeds on our oh, yeah, we are. back to nature. Oh my gosh! So <laughs> here's the thing. So this is what really actually kind of got me into like looking stuff up on the internet, like for games and stuff. Ocarina of Time a little bit for guides and whatnot, and for other games, guides as well. But what really got me into like looking stuff up was kind of like the hidden stuff about Harvest Moon Back to Nature. Uh -huh. And like there was the prevailing fan theory that was always around that the daughter of the winery, the guy who like says like my daughter ran off, mm -hmm. she is the girl that you promised to marry in childhood. Oh, I don't. I didn't think that at all. I thought that was Karen, because mm -mm. the the character models like match. It was the uh, the daughter ends up being referenced in like one of the TV shows. Like she's one of the racers or something. Like yep. she went off and became a racer. Yep. But yeah, no, I, I I was unaware of this theory of like her being the girl that you that from from the flashbacks. No, yep. it, it always like. She just like was just caring in my mind because because of the character model. That would make sense. You might be right, but this is like where like the internet fan theories start coming in. Yeah, and that's really a rabbit hole of its own. <laughs> Very true. Oh man, no. So this is during the age where like all of a sudden I'm starting to get online. I'm starting to read these things through like guides, like message boards. Game facts was like became like my go-to place. Mm -hmm. Like I was a Games Facts kid, Game Facts message boards kid. That's what I was about. Uh, and then it jumps over to PS2. PlayStation Two is interesting because my friends all got PlayStation Twos uh, before me. It, sorry, not all of them, a couple of them. And I got my PlayStation Two from a Blockbuster. It was a used previous rental unit. Because they used to rent consoles. That's so weird. Like thinking back on, yeah, I could like I could rent an N sixty four for a weekend and like have friends over or something like that. That was a thing that existed. That happens. Yep. That was a thing we grew up with. 
Mm-hmm. So the PlayStation 2, I got a, like, one that was a prior console that was used. And it was, like, the big, it was the first PS2, the big thick one. Mm-hmm. The two-tier one. Slot in the back if you wanted to put that hard drive in there that you could use to, like, hook up to a modem to play Final Fantasy XI. Eleven back on that? Yeah, I guess. Mm-hmm. That was the first thing it came out on, that on the PC. Yeah, I was, that's, I always think of it as like a as a PlayStation Three game, I guess. Yeah. So I was put so that I never had I never played it because just it there's no way I could have finagled that. <laughs> I really thought it was cool, but also I just never got into it. But then what ended up happening was I got into, you know, Final Fantasy Ten came out. Uh, and this is when the console war started. This is when it happened, Trevor. This is when all of a sudden my friends who are now, we're all living apart from each other. Like I'm the only one still living in the original neighborhood. The others moved out, you know, with the white flight and whatnot that happens. <laughs> okay. Not that bad. No, my, my neighborhood is still pretty blue collar. But, you know, families get bigger. Families get more money around that time. Everybody was making more money around that time. And so they moved out to Gilbert or to Peoria. Like people just moved out and just further east or further north. Which makes no sense to anybody who's listening to this because we're talking specifically like two to local like Phoenix. Yeah, if, if, you are, if you are well versed in your Arizona geography, congratulations, you're following along. <laughs> So what ended up happening was uh, I got a PlayStation 2. My friend Josh got an Xbox. It it wasn't bad. It wasn't bad. The Xbox was fine. The Xbox was a machine. It ran things, and it was cool. And everybody, all they ever did was care about Halo, and I was never any good at Halo 1. So I didn't get good at Halo until Halo 3 and Halo Reach. The Xbox for me was Fable and uh, oh, Fable. Knights of the Old Republic. Fable on it. Oh, Fable was amazing. Fable was just phenomenal. So my friend Josh would come over. He'd bring over the Xbox, and we'd play Xbox games. Uh, I would come over. I'd bring the PS2, and we'd play PS2 games. Of course, this is also when I'm like still getting PlayStation 1 games because you can play them on PlayStation 2. Yeah, that was a good... I miss backwards compatibility. <laughs> I know. Anyway, um, yeah, no, and uh, PlayStation 2 changed quite a few things for me because I started getting into more niche games, like different games. So a big game series that has always held up for me that I've always loved, and it's like the entire series, both the first and second series, is the Dot .hack games. Mm-hmm. So like, the, I love the idea of an MMO, but I, there's no way I could ever afford to play an MMO. <laughs> Same. So I played the dot .hack games, and dot .hack 1, uh, Infection, Mutation, Outbreak, and Quarantine. Those yep. are the first four ones. Yep. Um, <laughs> this is what's so funny. Uh, I got the first one, played it. The second one was available at a local Hollywood video, so I never had to buy it. The third one, though, was not available at a Hollywood video or to rent, so I had to buy that one. And then the fourth one was available for rent, so I was able to rent it. So I technically only have two of them. I have uh, one and three, and I'm missing two and four. And it pisses me off because, like, those games are really great uh, to me. 
like they're they're broken as fuck and they're like oh, i've got them I've, like i've still got the the full set that was my uh i distinctly like that's one of the the games that i have a very distinct moment in time of uh it was my friend between um our junior and senior year he went to e3 and that was when I learned you could do that was a thing you could do. And I said, <laughs> I've been like struggling and trying to get there myself since. Um, but he and he like one of the things he brought back with swag was basically a demo disc of uh, of the first dot hack. And he gave it to me. And so I played it and and was like, oh, it was a really fun game. I really enjoy this. And so mm -hmm. I went out and started getting the series my senior year of high school. Um, and yeah, I, so I still have the whole that whole first set because I, it was the same way. I was like the idea of world of warcraft like intrigued me but mm -hmm. i was never gonna like i didn't I, I enjoy playing other games too much that i was never gonna be able to just sit down and dedicate my life to one game so mm -hmm. the mentality of an mmo just never like fully resonated with me but i yeah. like dot hack is a great chance to experience that that kind of sensation while being like entirely scripted and uh, like a, a very straightforward game that has the illusion mm -hmm. of online elements. It was fun. I loved it. I loved that series. Uh, and what ended up happening is later, I actually played the Dot .hack GU games. So both of those series were on PlayStation 2. Mm -hmm. Funny enough, one towards the beginning of the console life cycle and one towards the end. Yeah. Yeah, I never got into GU. Like I, I knew it was I knew it was a thing coming out, but I think I like moved on to just other game types by then. It was really cool. Uh, it continued kind of like the feeling of it being an MMO to uh, like an upper degree uh, instead of it being as kind of all generically laid out. There is more of an intriguing story about it. Really dives more into kind of like the cyberpunk element that Dot Hack kind of like was dancing around, and really dives directly into it. Uh, different game modes, so it's not or different like ways of playing the game too. Uh, you had multiple weapons now. It's it's a really fun series, and the story tells basically like of it's funny because the hero starts off being like an edgy wanker, like an edgy anti-hero piece of shit. But over the course of the games, the four games, or sorry, no, the three games, because it's uh, volume one, two, and three for GU. Um. When over the, by the time it comes to the third game, he's like a really kind, benevolent person who is like trying to help people out of the goodness of his heart, uh, and it's a total transformation of his character. And he goes from being completely alone to having so many friends and allies, and it's a really cool cumulative story about just f progressing through kind of adolescence and growing up in a way. Yeah, and it was fun. I had a blast and you could get like, Oh gosh, you could get so many party members. And of course they carried over the idea of like you interact with your party members and they send you emails. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I forgot what you were on where you were talking about dot hack. And I just, that's why I wanted to bring it up. Uh, yeah. Like I, we might've Was it the We the gamers? It, you on? Maybe. No, it was probably like, I feel like I probably talked about it. Well, I've talked about it with like Danny. Um, Okay. Uh, on some stuff. So yeah, but I don't. I yeah, I can't imagine it would have been a, a We the Gamer topic. Or no, was it during your gaming history when you in episode zero of Trevor Talk or Trev Talk? I don't think so. Um, if anything, it, like 
the most recent time I could imagine talking about it. I mean, we might have talked about it at Kind of Funny Live. Um, That's true. Uh, but like maybe on Rational Passions. Last time I was on, I, which I was Yeah, I remember you talking about uh, the guy that would send you the email of like his workout schedule and then about like the story of how he found this dog and he helped this dog out and then he met the dog's owner and... I don't yeah. remember telling that story you're talking about because I don't remember that. So shit, maybe so it's not be, you. You Who might be thinking that? of somebody else. Fuck, I hope not. I hope that that's a huge gaffe on my part. You listen to comics and joysticks. It might have been Danny. <laughs> oh shit! I think it might have been Danny. <laughs> fuck it's fuck Danny. <laughs> All right, we take we you. take away the the uh, the shout out earlier. Stoke Danny, screw yeah. you for confusing Cameron. To be completely fair, and this is not on anybody else but me, but I'm actually, like, I'm not, like, 100% right now, health-wise. Uh, I came back into town from being at a state uh, just on a work trip, and I got back, and the first thing that happened is that I hit a massive allergy. I like, a massive allergic reaction because I came back Monday night, and that meant that the rain and pollen and everything was up in the air, and the wind yeah, was yeah. blowing. Yeah, we just got hit. And so we, I like came through in a rainstorm and a dust storm and I didn't get on my antihistamine regimen quick enough. And so I'm dealing with like the fallout of like also like a head cold from it. And yeah. like I, I've had fevers, like continuous fevers for the most part of almost every day up until today. So, I mean, I've taunted Danny with the idea that I still have my, my set of, of dot hack games. So yeah. Um, Totally could have come out in like a Snapchat story as well. Oh gosh, it totally could have. Okay, <laughs> so like I'm, I'm, what I'm saying is I'm not 100, percent but I remember somebody talking about it, and it just like made me remember all these memories about Dot Hack that I had put away in my brain. Yeah, have just now like come out to the forefront. No, it's, I mean, it's a, it was a fun, definitely like of the of the time series. It's one of those that like I would love it if it becomes one of the PS2 to PS4 like oh. releases on the, on the PlayStation. If they, if they released all four in like one game bundle, that would be amazing. Yeah. I, like it wouldn't spread like that. One of the, one of the questions later is, is like PSX like topics. Like that's one of them that seems like it would make sense as like a PS, uh, PSX announcement is like, and available today, this, the, the cult classic series dot hack. And we'll get that. So that'd be um, cool. It, it, yeah. I mean, that all depends on like the who has the rights to those games, and I, I, that's all like. I expand I, I, I think. Is it okay? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. So I'm sure they have a fine relationship and could could put them up out there if they want to release them. Yeah. yeah so that's a great little series. I'm glad that we talked about that because now we're going into what is like again like uh kind of like this one is like a black period for me like a blanked out period because i did not jump to the new consoles right away um i actually i only was part of the 360 ps3 um wii era only because my family owned a wii like every other people like any other individual out there everybody loves bowling everybody loves bowling i played twilight princess loved it love 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 twilight princess but because of the limited library of quality games on the Wii, I never really delved into that generation. And also it was, you know, half a step behind mm -hmm. PS3 and, and 360. So what ended up happening is like, I just wasn't a part of that. So I was not part of the conversation for Uncharted or Halo or 
any of these things that I was just not a part of the conversation on to the point where like what he like what am I supposed to say? But at the same time, this is also when I'm as active as I am online with video games. Mm-hmm. I had transitioned from game facts to G4. I was never really active on the G4 forums, but I consumed every piece of content I could from X Play and Attack of the Show and just anything I could find on G4. Funny enough, I saw my first thing of G4 in a hotel for a wedding of my, for my cousin's wedding in New Mexico. I was like, is this a local thing? No, it's a cable channel. Okay. Well, I don't get it at my house, but I get it at my aunt's house. So I'll like record stuff on DVR there and watch it. Yeah. My, uh, my only interactions with G4 were when I, the summer I spent working at the, uh, the Santa Fe opera also in New Mm -hmm. Mexico. Um, and it was like, like I knew about the network, but it was like, because I didn't have cable or wasn't watching cable, um, in my, in my college years, it was definitely like, Oh, this is a thing I've got in this, in like the, the opera housing. So I'll enjoy it. And, and like watched American Ninja warrior up the ass and, and G4. And, uh, yeah. That was, that was much later to the G4 like, after the cycle. Yeah. Oh yeah. This was, this was the summer of 2008. So mm-hmm. like that, but that was like my only, my only interaction ever with G4 really. What G4 did is they actually had a po- They started doing a podcast that was just the G4 podcast, and it was hosted by Adam Sessler. And the first people that he ever had on it were Patrick Klepek and Abby Heppy. Patrick Klepek, who's now with Vice Gaming, and mm-hmm. Abby Heppy, who is like the community manager for, uh, I want to say it's not Triarch, for uh, Respawn, Respawn Entertainment. Um, so I was introduced to Patrick Klepek the, for the first time there. Mm-hmm. And he was still really young in his career. And he left G4 to go right for EGM. So let's talk EGM for a second. I owned every single monthly issue of GM or EGM for like a good, I want to say like eight years of period of time. I owned every issue. I owned none. I was so into EGM. And it all started with the Final Fantasy X cover. Like, when they covered Final Fantasy X, Final Fantasy X was such a hot topic with my friends. Mm-hmm. But this is also when I realized that I wasn't like my friends, where they said, we don't, like, don't want to learn anything about this. We don't care anything about this. We just wanted the game. And I was like, yeah, but there's, like, cool stories about making the game, the people behind the game, and they didn't care. Mm-hmm. And that's really when the division between myself and my friends came in, because I didn't know it at the time, but I was starting to love the game industry as much as I love games. So, and I still remember being like, uh, like I think 15 or 16 and Dan Shu, um, one of my idols when it comes to, you know, anything journal, like game journalism related because he wrote in his editorial piece about other like outlets that were taking money through advertising avenues to give positive reviews for games. And he said, I'm not going to say who it is, but they know who they are. And I want them to know that we know who you are. And here at EGM, so long as I am ed- like editor-in-chief, that will never happen. And he took a strong stance on integrity in game journalism. About stay- like staying away from... So to me, EGM became like this... Like I could trust what EGM had to say 
even if I didn't agree with it, like what the reviewers were saying, but I knew the reviewers were coming from a place of honesty. There was not, and of course, fast forward a couple years later, Jeff Gersman gets canned from GameSpot over the Canon Lynch review. Yeah. So for the first, but for the first time that I ever realized, oh, I guess people would pay like pay bribe money to get better reviews for their games because they're going to sell more if they get good reviews. That's a thing that would happen. Like that's a thing that underhanded people would do. And I started like getting deeper. I remember when they wrote saying, we're moving to San Francisco. This is something when Greg Miller talked about it in like a Greg way episode. He's like, I still remember that article. And I was like, I remember it too. Mm-hmm. But I, at the same time, being part of the games media was like, to me, a kid, like a 14, 15 year old kid in Mesa, Arizona, who hates writing, who is a terrible writer, who, you know, is completely alone in his love for gaming and the game industry. Because other people love video games, but not the way that I love video games. Because I didn't know it at the time, but I, I was talking about the games industry just as much as the games themselves. And I was realizing and finding this out about myself, and I had this outlet that would write to me. They would make jokes. You had, oh my gosh, Sean Nanners? No, 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 what's his name? He was uh, Sean Baby, Sean Baby. Sean Baby was the guy that they got to review terrible games, and he wrote really hilarious reviews of them on the last page of every issue of EGM. <laughs> he was uh, when G4 and this is such a G4 thing to talk about but when G4 had like the top 10 video game babes they had Sean Baby as one of the judges it was just like gosh. Uh, that's such a cringy thing to think about but that's what the industry was like back then Yeah. and the entire time Sean Baby was just like making fun of the like the idea that they were ranking video game babes because that's the thing, Sean Baby just would just like infuriate people by being an asshole. And I liked him for that. But I loved Dan Shu because Dan Shu, when Dan Shu got um, hit by, he wrote an uh, editorial piece about how he was getting hit by people about his interview with Peter Molyneux. Because when Peter Molyneux uh, essentially overpromised, as Peter Molyneux does, yeah. he overpromised. And when Dan Shu talked to him about overpromising, people were like going after Dan Shu, saying, "How could like how dare you speak to him like that? He, you're giving him an interview, all this stuff." And then he said, "You know, I'm not apologizing for it. This is an actual interview. I'm asking him a real question that I know people want the answer to, and I'm going to ask that question. I'm going to do it." And it just Dan Shu just became like this hero in my eyes, and. When they're like, who's your hero? And I'm like, like, I can't tell my classroom that my hero is a video game writer. <laughs> but, you know, that's who he was. Uh, so I ended up falling in love with the game. So even though I wasn't, this is the funniest thing, because even though I was not buying games, even though I was not, like, I didn't have the newest consoles, I was still buying issues of EGM. That's, I mean, like, I, uh, I think I talked about this last week with uh, Alex, like I was listening to Unlocked, even though I wasn't a, like a, a, an Xbox person during the 360 era, uh, just because I, I wanted to be up on kind of the the other side of the, uh, the, the industry and just kind of be 
aware of what was going on there, even if that wasn't something I was invested in personally. So when people say, I, I'm glad you brought up IGN because IGN is interesting for me. Mm-hmm. Because IGN, like I've talked about it before on other podcasts, I'm not an IGN kid. I'm an IGN guy now. Like I do go to IGN probably daily, but it's mostly because I'm there for the personalities, the people that are there. Um, whether it's the fire team chat or podcast beyond or, you know, up at noon, whatever it might be, you know, I'm focused more about like the people that I want to hear from. Yeah. And anything Vincent Genito's on or Jared Petty, anything those two men are on, I will listen to mm-hmm. because they're brilliant, brilliant men. Uh, Jared Petty, who I adore on a personal level just because the man's so sweet and sincere. I've never met the man myself, but like from everything I've seen, his pocket full of soups, podcast, everything, it's like I just need to meet this man and I need to give him a hug. Yep. I need to let him know that he is loved because he is, he is a man who deserves to, be, like, to, let, to know that people out there love him. Uh, and then Vincent Genito, who's just – Gosh, he's so smart, and he knows so much. Anyway, enough gushing about these guys. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, IGN for me was that website that, oh, I don't want to go to IGN for that guide because I have to wait 30 seconds for that ad wall to go down. Mm. Were they one of the – I mean – you bring up the the the, the Dan Shu article of of talking about like bribery in, in gaming and stuff, mm-hmm. um, and and immediately when I think about that, I think in not naming names, he actually probably hurt things because he like cast a shadow of doubt over like the people that. Oh, that's true. But now everybody suddenly thinks everybody's doing it, um, and it, like we've obviously seen this much more in recent years where mm-hmm. you know things like Gamergate pop up and. And everybody just assumes that IGN is is getting paid off for stuff. And yeah, there are cases out there where Gamespot was notorious in in, uh, in its handling of uh, the Kane and Lynch thing with Jeff Gershman. Mm-hmm. But it like I think in casting an aspersion out there, like among the rest of the industry, I think people that read that could have easily gone and and many did easily go the other way on it and say, well, now, now I'm not going to trust anybody because everybody could be doing it. It's like, yeah, like everybody could be doing it, but very few people actually are. Yeah. And so and that was throwing that was out, it was throwing out the baby with the bathwater. I can see that. I can definitely see that argument, but for, for essentially being an extended like independent PR arm that games journalism was back then, like it was Kind of ballsy at the time, anyway. For yeah. me, for I mean, a teen- like I also grew up with like Nintendo Power, which is you know a gaming magazine published by Nintendo. <laughs> yeah, PlayStation Magazine, like official Xbox Magazine, like those. Like I, I. But even in that context, I didn't think about like how biased a Nintendo thing was for Nintendo. <laughs> it was just like, oh, like I'm enjoying the tips and tricks on these games and mm-hmm. learning about these other games that I'm not playing on Nintendo that are on Nintendo. Yeah, of course, I'm not going to see a Final Fantasy VII thing in Nintendo Power, but that makes sense. Yeah. So, no, it was just, it was interesting. And that's really kind of where, so I, I graduated high school, um, pussed around for a bit, trying to figure out what I was going to do. Got a job at my family, res- like a family restaurant that my family, that a member of my family uh, owned. And I was just working there part-time 
uh, and I started making money and like actually like accumulating money for the first time. Cause I, I worked there in high school, but I was, you know, I had a high school schedule, but then all of a sudden I have like, I'm taking a few college classes, but majority of my time is either at work or with friends. So all of a sudden I have money and I was like, huh, I saved up this much on this paycheck. I can buy a system. And Chandler and I talked about it on the Mass Effect podcast because I talked to him. I said, hey, like you play like video games like on new consoles, right? He goes, yeah. And I go, uh, I'm thinking about getting a PS3 or a 360. And he says, oh, I'm just going to stop right there. You're going to get a 360. And I was like, okay, but I've never owned an Xbox. He goes, don't worry about that. Here's the, and he's like, here's the reason why. Halo, Mass Effect. And he like went down the list of games. And I was like, okay. And like you own these? He goes, oh, I own, I own them among many others. And so I ended up getting a 360, but because I got a 360, I like the first games that I picked up for the 360 were Halo 3, the ODST copy that included Halo 3, uh, Devil May Cry 4, because I was a huge Devil May Cry fan okay. on the PS2 era. Love Devil... I have the... I still own the special collect, like special edition that has one, two, and three, special edition of three in a like trilogy set that I got uh, for like 30 bucks. Totally worth it. That's another one of those series that I just like overlooked. I never got into Devil May Cry. So when the DMC like reboot stuff happened, you're just like, I don't get this. It's, uh, it was, I mean, like I get it. I, I like, I am aware of the series and I'm aware of like people's love of the series. But yeah, I was like, I, I don't need to play the reboot of the games that I didn't art that I already didn't play. <laughs> Fair enough, and I, I will tell you that uh, it's fair. This is a point of contention between Alex and I, because Alex is like, I really like the DMC reboot, as I, and I'm just like, fuck you. <laughs> do you want to like, like, do you want to piss in my ear and tell me it's raining too? Like, don't give me that shit. I mean, but, yeah, no, no, like, we we, like what they like. we talk about that. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. Uh, yeah, you know, you're now you're gonna have Alex on next week for a rebuttal episode. No. To talk to no, I'm not going to bring him on anytime soon because I don't need to kill another four hours. There you go. You need those extra hours, that's for sure. Um, even though we have been killing this for like two hours now, geez. Eh, hour and a half. But also, half. he's now got his Alex Talks thing going that he wants to get up every other week, so I don't want to take away that much time from him on top of – because I'm – I imagine Irrational Passions is still going on right now. <laughs> oh, probably. It's only 9 o'clock here, so yeah, for sure. They're yeah. still doing it. Oh, yeah. Um, probably just getting out of bonus content at this point. <laughs> <laughs> As you and I have both been, both been guests on that show, we can attest the bonus content lasts way too damn long. Yeah, sometimes. Sometimes, it, like, the times I've been on, it's been, like, a half-hour bonus content. And then four hours of the show. <laughs> there you go. Right on. But uh, no, so then I got the 360. I started playing 360 games. Uh, during this interim time, I had also been playing games on my laptop, included Star Wars of Knights of the Old Republic. Okay. Uh, I played KOTOR 1, fell in love with it. And I was like, is Bioware games outside of KOTOR any good? I picked up Dragon Age, played that, loved it. Dragon Age Origins, a like borderline masterpiece of the RPG genre. Mm -hmm. Phenomenal phenomenal just like master stroke that has had two sequels of dubious quality in comparison a fan of the follow-ups two is interesting but at the end of the day it adds up to being a pile of garbage um 
it's fun garbage, but it's still garbage. Because at the end of the day, you're playing somebody else's story. You're not playing that has already happened. And even though you're making choices, like, it's just, I have my problems with Dragon Age 2. Uh, but I still think that it's a cool story. And I still so think that it has cool Your characters. biggest issue with Dragon Age 2 is, the, is how the story is framed? No, the framing of the story is, f- I, I guess, it's just, the fact that I wasn't playing a character that I created to play, I was playing a character that already existed, um, in a way, I guess, is the way to put it. Uh, I wasn't playing my story. I was playing Hawk's story. Okay. I'm not Hawk. Like, I wasn't playing Hawk. Right. Hawk existed. Hawk had a personality set to it. Um, it's not yeah, like Shepard. I mean, yeah. I mean that, yeah, that, that, that happens just as a result of them getting away from... Like, the, the character, the champion in, of Kirkwall, right? Is that mm-hmm. right, I think? That's correct. Uh, whoever in Dragon Age Origins... Like, oh, no, that's uh, the Warden of Ferelden. Is in Dragon Age Origins. Uh, they, I mean, they have, like, a personality, but they, they're not voiced as much. So mm-hmm. it's, it's just whatever you're reading off of your four selections from the, all the prompts. But, I, yeah, so, I mean, I, I get, I guess, the, the Hawk being more personality-driven because they're now a voiced character in the same way that, like, the, the uh, Fallout 4 protagonist is more character-driven because they have a voice versus just being a, a voiceless prompt. I, part of that's true. I would definitely agree with that. But another part of it is also... Um, the fact that like I couldn't ever just say something, I had to have a personality behind it. Like either the the happy cheery answer or the a gruff like I'm a sourpuss answer or the I'm a funny guy answer. Like that those dialogue options, you always had those three dialogue options. Yeah. And it was frustrating because like even in Mass Effect, where they do it really well, um Mass Effect the entire trilogy, they do that very well of even though you have like your Paragon Renegade options, there's diversity in that. You can choose a neutral answer and have it just be like you just gave an answer. You don't have to have it aligned with a like a personality detail. Yeah, I mean, I, we don't need to go down. It's not, especially since you've probably got a, a four-hour thing out there on Mass Effect out there. But like, I think it sounds to me like you're getting hung up on the the images of the. Those, it's uh, easy like, to latch on to. Yeah, to, like, like I mean, to it's be like, why I, I just like it. I don't want to get too like into the, the weeds. Par- on it. Yeah, the par- but the Paragon Renegade thing is pretty much the same thing, and and there there are fewer neutral options, especially in Mass Effect two and three, than I think you're recalling. <laughs> yeah, because I'm actually just trying to compare to Mass Effect one. Um, no, my problem yeah, with I mean, it, both, my- both of, yeah, both of those originals definitely had more in the way of like neutral options but then it also bites you in the ass when you get to the end and you can't do some of the things because you didn't go all paragon or all renegade Um, and that that's an effect of mass effect 2 that's a serious problem with mass effect 2 um that i would have that i do have with it uh however in dragon age 2 um it's not paragon or renegade it's it's uh good or evil like the good or evil options and that's and then you have a funny option in between yeah there's no can i just give you a basic answer because it doesn't at that point it doesn't really matter but uh anyway 
getting really into the weeds here, and I'm trying not to get too into the weeds <laughs> on this. Uh, but Inquisition, I think, is really cool on a lot of levels. Um, it definitely brought back a lot of, like, as far as gameplay-wise goes, stellar game. Mm-hmm. Story-wise, that story has so many problems. Like, so many problems from the get-go, from the very beginning of the game to the end. Has so many problems with it, but... Um, yeah. Just in just in storytelling aspects of it, I mean, it, it does that. It does that thing that like uh, I talked about in uh, in my little pilot thing, where like yeah, it kind of forces your character to be like amnesiac a little bit, and so you're mm-hmm. learning, you're you're remembering things in the like as a plot device to intro so that everybody is saying things to this character that makes sense for them to also be saying for the first time or explaining for the first time so that the player is benefited by it. And it's not, um, it doesn't like, feel natural. It doesn't feel like it's rehashing things that they characters would obviously already know. Um, well, the problem that I had with dragon age inquisition is it starts you like you get a flashback, but it also drops you in the middle of an event with a character that you haven't been able to define yet. Something that was really great about Dragon Age Origins is you had an origin story that you yeah. played through to help define your character so that when you were dropped into the like the big oh shit moment, you knew what your character was supposed to do or like what your character's reaction would be or like what your character like would be doing at that moment. Yeah, Versus no, in like- Inquisition, you're dropped into it, you go into the create a character screen in the oh shit moment. Yeah. No, and that's that's a, absolutely a fair point. The origins um, stories are easily the best, probably the best that that's ever been handled. Um, mm-hmm. And it is because which character you choose, which story you end up getting, also affects like who, what your relationships are with other people in the world. Like mm-hmm. if you're a human, you have a pre-existing relationship with Arl Howe or whatever. And mm-hmm. if, you're, if you're one of the elves, you have an existing relationship with those people. And the mage, obviously, you have a pre-existing like, relationship with the Circle of Magi. So, yeah, like I, I appreciated playing through each of those for kind of the different tastes that they put that you didn't get in it because it's way more complex uh, to build stories around six different character types um but the thing is they they give you options and this is the worst this is what upset me the most they when you do a character creation in dragon age inquisition they make it look like you're going to have that because you're choosing your your race your class you're going through this entire process and it has like details that are like really cool background like really cool backstories if you're a human you're part of a noble family that wants to force you to enter the chantry and like, are you going to do anything with that? No, you never do anything with that. I mean, it's, it's that kind of stuff affects, uh, and it's just like in in Mass Effect, where that affects like how people talk to you. But yeah, it's not like, uh, or in it specifically in Inquisition, it affects the kinds of quests you get on the board. Oh, uh, the board! Like the, Don't the get me time. started on the board. Uh, those those uh, those elements are often cases very tied directly to what you're like back story your history is there yeah um, I, I do know that it's so it just, has, it, but it yeah. but yeah it's i mean it's definitely not as apparent as um origins uh, as origins was so i i will just say this i prefer the way origins handled it than inquisition yeah. did 
That's but also, it, also, we're getting too into the weeds on Bioware and my feelings on Bioware and their and what I would actually end up ended on being the uh, detrimental effect EA has had as their publishing arm. Okay. I think I think EA has, and not that EA is a bad company, um, but that Bioware is seemingly going through the same problems that a lot of other independent studios that come under the arm of a parent company like EA yeah. um, have, such as rush development cycles, uh, just problems from the get-go that just I started seeing in Dragon Age 2 that have continued on through the rest of their games, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, back onto my gaming history. <laughs> Let's wrap this up. Uh, I found a little show called uh, Oreo Oration. I, I've heard of it. Yeah. I saw this. I I thought to myself, wait a minute. Somebody's reviewing Oreos on YouTube. Uh, I bet it's like some like skinny person. And I saw it, it's like, oh no, this guy's actually pretty pretty fat. Okay. Why, why would you think? Why would you think? Because I'm used to I'm used Oreos. to like I'm used to food channels being like models like showing off stuff. Okay. So like like Buzz, TV like, food channels, or are you talking like YouTube food channels? No, I'm talking like BuzzFeed videos where they're like, oh my gosh, we're about to eat this, and it's like. You fuckers will never eat this. It, okay. Like if it wasn't for a video. Because like the only other food channels I can think of are like Drunk Kitchen and um, no, no, and Epic Meal Time. No, where, Epic like, Meal Epic think. Meal Time's what's up. Epic Meal yeah. Time's what's real. But that but so those are those are what I have in my head for like YouTube food channels, not like skinny people eating food that they wouldn't actually eat. Yeah. So, but I saw this. I was like, this dude looks like he eats Oreos on the regular. This dude probably has a good idea of what, like, how to review Oreos, and by God, I was right. <laughs> this man had a ten, like, a twenty-point scale that he was running off of. Yeah. He was talking about a prior episode of how he's like, man, I got to get like a grudge match going between these crispy Oreos, or these, uh, uh, you know, the crispy Oreos, which are essentially the rice crispy Oreos, rice crispy ones, yeah. um, which were crack cocaine to me. Those are delicious, yeah. I have photographs of that I sent Greg Miller on Twitter, and I just said, what have you done to me? Because I just had, like, just four packages of them just in my room, and I would eat them in a weekend. It's just like, why? Because they were delicious. They were so good. There's a reason why they're limited edition and why they're no longer available, and that's because if they were, I would weigh, like, excess of 600 pounds. <laughs> I can't control myself around them. I just devour them. So you got into Oreo oration. Yeah, and I was like, what else does this guy do? Oh, he has these shows. Wait a minute. He's on. He's part of IGN. I know that website. I check it out, his IGN stuff. Oh, he's on Podcast Beyond. I'll check that podcast out. It's a PlayStation podcast. Huh. And this is in your dark times where you only have a 360. Yeah, well, this yeah. is... Yeah, no, th we're past the dark times. I got the oh, 360. Okay. I entered... Back into modern video games. Yes. We got, I mean, we got, I meant, we got I lost you, in the... I meant yeah. you having a 360 was the dark times, but... Well, to be fair, yeah, it kind of was. The 360 <laughs> was... So what ended up happening, though, is I listened to this... Uh, I had bought a PS3. But I was just like, I got it to play PS3 exclusive games. Really, I got it to play Demon Souls, which is a game that uh, Blair Herder on the G4 podcast was just, like, so into... Mm -hmm. and talking about how amazing it is. And I was like, man, I'm going to play Demon's Souls one day. And sure enough, I bought a PS3 and I did. And I love Demon's Souls. It's a great game. 
I beat it, but like I didn't wasn't connected to the internet, so I have like no trophies for it, which is like a great disappointment to my heart. Like looking back, I could probably have connected that to like a trophy, the trophy system, but it would have also taken like four hours to connect to the trophy system on PS3. <laughs> um, like I was so amazed about how garbage that user interface was after coming from the 360. That's fair. Yeah. The world like, of, of our PlayStation. And like the download times on that thing. Oh man. And I had, I had, didn't have the George Foreman grill. I had mm-hmm. the, the, the mini, okay. but not the, the George Foreman grill. I had the, like the, I would say the PS4 is like a sleeker version of like the PS3 that I owned. Okay. So I had like that, that curved over turtle shell one. Yeah. And that was a beast. And I loved that thing. It was great. Um, I played a bunch of games on it. Uh, misspelt my my PSN name. Mixed up two letters. Good job. It's the only place ever, like anywhere on the internet, where like it's misspelt. But it's where I have like the most social interaction. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I got the PS4 eventually. Like I finally saved up enough money. Got the PlayStation 4 about like six or seven months after it came out. Okay. What's funny though is that I got a a PS4 after I got my Vita. So I I am on the cutoff date for... For Vita Island? For Vita Island. No, there's some... That's why you're in prison there and actually on the island. Yeah. Although I'm in prison under like... The jester's charges. You know why I got thrown into Vita Island prison? I don't recall, no. I said, hey, Colin, I want to work with, like, and make sure that we tell people how great Vita Island is and how they can't come here. And he says, and also to make sure that we put out the necessary information to make sure people know that 3DS Peninsula is garbage and are all of our enemies. And Colin said, you do whatever you need to do. And Greg's like, hold on a second. I know this fucker. Oh, that's right. And so he sent Lola after me. But here's the thing, Trevor. When you know you're going to be thrown into prison, you can make certain preparations. Certain precautions were taken. And that's why I have as much access as I do in Vita Island Prison. Right. Because you've already got Zyger in your pocket. It's Because he's the corruptest of the corrupt jail guards. It, to be fair, it's not hard. Um... You just got to send him some anime. And no, it's when, when you're no, because what it has to be is you have to, you just have to submit to being one of his criminal girls. Exactly. Yeah. I don't want to talk about that. Which? <laughs> uh, that's actually how Zyger and I got to know each other. though, was over a criminal girl stream. Yeah, that's how. I mean, that's Zyger came into the forefront. Uh, because of his obsession with uh, with criminal girls, I'm sure we'll get. I'm sure I'll get him on this show at some point. Oh my gosh! We'll go. We'll go deep in the weeds on those games. Uh, it, no, this is what you're gonna have to watch out for: the pitfalls of his knowledge. We're just oh, like, yeah. how is this here? How yeah. is this pitfall here? How do you not know who Tom Hanks is? Yeah. Zyger. Uh, uh, I love Ziggy. Yeah. His full his his full nickname for me is uh or that I gave him is Ziggy Stardew Love Child. That's the name. Yep. He's just Ziggy. He's just Ziggy Stardew. Okay. 
not uh, not Stardust. Right. Stardust. Because he's dew, like freshly formed in the early morning, like a newborn drop of water. Except it's in space. I don't know. I just made it up. Yeah. It's fun. Uh, like I said, I am, I'm not feeling hundred percent, which also means that I'm on medic, like cold medicine. So I'm a little wonky. So anything to wrap up your, your gaming history, you got into (sighs) Greg, they eventually left IGN kind of funny. That's where we ended up meeting kind of funny live. Yeah, we did. Roommate. We we shared a room. Yeah. And you brought originally Alex O'Neill. Yeah. Potentially going to be a part of. And, and then, then he's like, he was oh, like, I can stay no, I'm for- super poor. Yeah. I'm going to stay half an hour out of town instead. Dick. The fun we could have had, the three yeah. of us together. Oh my gosh. Although, to be fair, when I first met Alex, I hated we, we, we already had a ton of fun that week together. Oh, my gosh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Although, to be fair, Alex and I didn't bond until after we had left Kind of Funny Live. And then, like, online, we just, like, kept talking to each other on Twitter and stuff. Mm-hmm. I started watching his show. Yeah. live tweeting him to the point where he's just like started to I started live tweeting enough that like people on like Nabashin and Tony understood who I was before I even talked to them for the first time yeah <laughs> uh, but, you know like yeah we met at kind of funny live one it was a blast uh it's like, hey, we're both from Arizona, and we both knew a guy, like the same person, like 10 years ago. Yeah. But we knew him. And that's sure, like, yeah. and that means that we're definitely not going to kill each other. And like, you know. Yes, we had, we had our one mutual Facebook friend, guy I did theater with. And like a, a friend of mine for a period of time, and still is a friend of mine, but uh, he's married and lives in yeah. Idaho. But yeah, so just a mutual friend, and I was like, that's how I made the decision to room with you rather than somebody else. There you go. Awesome. Good, because yeah. we had a random mutual friend. And that's it. That, that's the only reason I felt comfortable saying, like, yeah, I'll do it. All right. Because I also suffer from, like, like awful anxiety. Mm-hmm. And so the idea, this was my first, kind of funny live one was my first trip by myself ever. Mm-hmm. Like, on my own. And it was a crazy time. I was super anxious about it. And, but like immediately just felt like for the moment I got out of that Uber, I felt like we're good to go. Yeah. So and we you let me change into some pants and then we went on the town. You guys took a fat guy and walked him around San Francisco. Yep. Yep. That was, uh, that was funny. <laughs> Gosh, but I was like, oh, that's yeah, also- it's after Avengers. Oh yeah. Like it's, it's, it's not too far away. You know, we'll, we'll get to this karaoke bar oh my gosh. and walk up. It's 15 minutes. How long? That's the thing. Alex didn't know saying 15 minutes was going to trigger me. Well, they, that's, that was the, cause that was also, that was after we had done like our initial, like walking across town. Right. I think. Yeah. We uh, walked like five of the seven miles across San Francisco. Yeah. T- cause it was like, Oh yeah, no, let's go to underdogs. And everybody's like, Oh yeah, it's only like 10 minutes away. And then we like walked for an hour. It's like, oh, it was ten minutes driving. Okay. No, no, we walked for two and a half hours. Okay. Yeah. It was a two and a half hour, fifteen minute walk. Yeah. Well, originally, because we ended up going to like other plate. Like we were supposed to go yeah. to one place, and then we saw the line at that door, and was like, well, well we're not doing that. And then mm-hmm. we started, and then yeah, but it was it was definitely a blind leading the blind kind of 
story. And if you had not just like, if Colin and Greg Live had not finished then, and you had not checked your cheap like your maps, we would have still walked all yeah. the way through. Yeah. Good times. Yeah. Oh Original kind of funny live, and then because you didn't do any, you you didn't do another show until kind of funny live too, right? That's right, because I had to save my money. Yeah. You poor college student. <laughs> I'm doing PSX this year though, because I can't stand going another six months without see like another. I can't stand doing another six months without seeing everybody. Indeed, and we will get into that like in like three hours later in the show <laughs> no. at the rate we're going because no. we are it, it you know we're on par with with an Alex O'Neill kind of. I thing. told you, man. You yeah, like you I, you I, asked I, for it. Like yeah. you had a you're like I had windbag number one, and now I'm having windbag number two. Surely it won't go this long. There we go. Eh, it's fine. Like I said last week, like this is mostly an opportunity for me to get to hang out with you, mm-hmm. um, and audience be damned basically if they, if they want to put in the work and and hear our conversation cool but i'm not uh, like as much as it's nice to think of this as like oh i'm gonna build up the brand or something like that nah, this is really mostly just a chance to like force myself to actually hang out with you guys on on the internets rather yeah. than, uh just even though you and i live near enough to each other that we could have done this in person we could have yeah but <laughs> then i but then i would have had to roll out of bed sooner than five minutes before the show <laughs> although to be fair if we were going to do it this weekend there was no way that i could have like come down to scottsdale for that oh yeah and I'm, like, I'm also not gonna like my, i would not clean my house in in uh like to to have to do that either so fair enough <laughs> <laughs> this was never going to be an in-person kind of thing yeah maybe no. at like an event like a psx maybe i'll do like a special episode Oh, dude, no, we can, like, totally, like, I got my ridiculously too expensive that I should not have bought that expensive of a mic I can bring. You can put it in the hotel room, and we can just talk. Yeah. Um, So anything else in gaming history that you want to kind of touch on before we dive into? No, because I've been been dancing around the one, the next topic. The next, yeah, because I was going to say, so rolling into topic two... Notable absence from uh, from your gaming history, your favorite game, which is Tetris. Tetris. Let's I, let's dive into some Tetris. Oh where, man, where did that? Where did Tetris come into your life? So, where like video games, yeah, like video games, Tetris came into my life as a blight to my existence. Okay. So I actually hated Tetris when I was a kid. I didn't like it because I didn't see the point to it. I didn't get the arcade fashion to it. Uh-huh. And so I just never got it. Uh, however, what happened though, I was a little bit older. I had a smartphone and I downloaded Tetris and that's when it clicked. Like that's when it just like all clicked for me. So I'm like 18 years old. The smartphone version of Tetris is what got you into Tetris? <sighs> no, what got me into Tetris actually was Tetris on the computer. Okay. Well, that's Sorry. I'm that's jumping the, ahead of myself. That's a little better. Because <laughs> I'm like, Tetris on a phone, that's like the worst way to play Tetris. I know it's no. probably the way that like millions of people have played Tetris, but I'm like, it's not a touchscreen. No, I, br- I brought it up because that's how I play Tetris now. I play it on my smartphone. Um, it's my, but here's the thing. Tetris no, I'm going to judge you. It's fine. That's fine. That's fine. I'm neat, but I need to explain. Tetris to me is cathartic on a level like beyond anything else. Because for me, Tetris is a never-ending loop of just playing this game. It's mm-hmm. pure gameplay. That's all Tetris is. It's gameplay. Absolutely. Which is when I was younger, I didn't appreciate it. But when I was but around... They're going to create a three-movie story out of Tetris. Good God, why? 
I don't know, because because movies. Battleship was a thing. We knew Battleship was a thing, and it didn't go well. Yeah. Why don't people listen to us? But it's got it like Battleship did fine money wise. <sighs> like, That's because it, it had Liam Neeson in it. It's not a critically good game or good movie, but it's <laughs> like just like Tetris won't be probably. Just, like, you think Pixels would have taught? Yeah, but, you should. But you would have thought Pixels, Pixels would have taught them. Pixels probably made easily its money back because it was a cheap movie. <laughs> yeah. Well, all right. So let me break down my like my love of Tetris, starting from my hate of Tetris. Sounds good. My hate of Tetris came from the fact that uh, I didn't get it as a kid because I was in the Mario mindset, the the kind of mindset of platformers adventure playing a game where you did like you put together like drop down puzzles didn't mean anything to me and so i i dis i dismissed it here's my problem my mom liked tetris but she was super into dr mario mm-hmm. so we had one of on our old computer windows 95 machine we had this disc that basically gave you access to like a bajillion games <laughs> that were like old old PC games, and one of them was Dr. Mario. Um, what I can only assume is actually like a ripoff of Dr. Mario. Yeah, that's a weird, that's a weird one to think about. Uh, but my mom used to play it all the time, and I started watching her play that, and then I started playing it a little bit. And it was like the only game my mom liked doing because she liked doing the pill hopping. Mm-hmm. The pill hopping mechanic is actually really cool. Um, if, you ever, if anybody who's never played Dr. Mario... It works a little bit like Tetris where you have to match colors, but each pill is split in half with different colors. And so, but you can choose to flip the pills around. And that mechanic seemed really cool to me, and that made that click for me. So I started playing that a little bit. And it wasn't until I found out about Tetris Attack on the PC, like online, that I started playing it. And I just started playing it for hours. Um... Eventually, I got, like, tired of it, and I stopped playing it for a while. Uh, But I picked it up on mobile. Like, I'm 18 years old. I need something on my mobile device, and I still have the app, even though it doesn't work on my smartphone now. I refuse to delete the app because... That's right. I remember we talked about that a little bit when when you and I were talking during Naughty Gamer stuff. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Give me one second here because I'm going to pull it up in my app selection, even though it doesn't work. (laughs) There is a game called... Tetris right here. I'm actually not going to show that because it has, like, I have, like, Tinder on there as well. Um, oh. <laughs> and, and you telling us that you've got Tinder on it completely negates the fact that you're not showing us that you've no, got Tinder on it's it. It's also because I have people, like, messaging me, and uh-huh. I don't want to, like, pull their stuff up. Yeah. It's, I couldn't tell a thing from your screen anyway, so I imagine. Oh, you couldn't, you couldn't tell it from, like, the glare that's just yeah. everywhere on it? No, yeah. I can I see myself in, in your phone. <laughs> Anyway, but I have, like, this old app on it that originally came from, like, I'm talking I had the first Android phone. I had the, um, not the Droid phone, but the one that came before it, the My Touch from T-Mobile. Okay. It had, like, a little white spinning ball at the bottom of it that used to navigate on it, almost like an old Windows phone. Mm-hmm. Uh, not, like, the Windows 7 or Windows 8 phones that they came out with from Nokia, but, like, the old Windows phone. Uh or like on a Blackberry. That's probably what more people are familiar with, Blackberries. Yeah. So the little ball on it, and I would just play Tet, like I got Tetris on it, and it was like 199 
no, no, it was like four ninety nine. I was like, this is incredibly expensive, but I want Tetris. And I played just hours upon hours upon hours of Tetris. And that was just my, my game. That's what I played. If I'm bored, I play Tetris. If I am, you know, if I am waiting for something or I am waiting for somebody, I'm playing Tetris. I played just Tetris and Tetris over and over again. Mm-hmm. And it just became my go-to game. And it made me realize that, you know, if you told, if you asked me like, what are some of my favorite games? I would tell you like some obscure ones are like Radiata Star or Radiata Stories on PS2. I tell you like the dot hack games. I tell you uh, Harvest Moon Back to Nature. I'd say um, Weird Final Fantasy IX is one of my favorite games of all time. Solid choice. Um, I mean, we're talking like going through this entire spectrum. Halo Reach, even though it's a Halo game, is one of my favorite games of all time. Uh, just story-wise, Halo Reach is phenomenal. Uh, not to mention like the gameplay, DMR, the introduction of the sprint ability as a like a like a armor ability, not just something that everybody has. Just really cool stuff about Halo Reach. But if you were to ask me like what is my favorite game of all time, it's gonna be Tetris because Tetris isn't just a game that I played for the story or for a period of time until I beat it. Tetris goes on forever. Mm-hmm. Tetris isn't so much as it's my favorite game that I play. It's part of my favorite. It's one of my favorite parts of my life. Tetris has integrated itself as part of my life. I cannot imagine not having Tetris on a phone, which is why when my Tetris app wasn't working, I immediately found the new Tetris app and downloaded it. Even though I, even though I had to leave all my old high scores behind, even though I had to leave everything behind, learn the new system. It's not as good. I hate to break it to everybody. Tetris ultimate on mobile devices, not nearly as good as Tetris on prior mobile devices. My gosh, EA just stick, should have stuck with the old formula anyway. Although I do enjoy that uh, it can go on forever and not just stop at level 15. I do appreciate Is it EA that. or is it Ubisoft now? Uh, it's, oh shoot, I think it's Ubisoft now. Let me... I know, like, I'm pretty sure the, the console ones that have notoriously been, like, super slow and crappy online, if you've got, like, a lot of friends that, like, Greg and Colin uh, were kind of funny, will rail on about, is, like, that was the issue, was that um, Ubisoft, like, tried to talk them through it, and I was like, oh, no, it just sucks, because you, it's pinging the, the so leaderboards. Yeah, no, so what the problem is, is those are EA, the EA ones. I'm pretty sure it's EA. I'm pretty sure it's EA because I believe EA has had the Tetris license. Let me double check here. Uh, the Tetris license has been owned by EA for the last. Uh, oh, that's not what I needed. Tetris. Gosh, the first option is Tetris movie, and no. <laughs> All right, let me take a look here. Riveting as we both try and yeah. fact check this on on the fly. Tetris. Doo, 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 doo. Okay, Tetris Blitz is a uh, EA. So maybe it's like, but I like I could swear that the the version on consoles is Ubisoft. Well, whatever the case. The console ones have notoriously been like a pain in the ass. Yeah, I think the only place that's ever been super successful, like normally, is on um, 
Yeah, EA put out its first Tetris on in two thousand six. Yeah. Okay. Oh wait, no. Yeah, I've got I've got a new a Ubisoft logo on the like Tetris Ultimate. So that's weird. Like I guess they've got the license split out to everybody. I guess that's kind of weird. Um... Okay, so yes, this one that I'm looking at right now, uh, the Tetris from Electronic Arts, EA Tetris for EA Mobile, that one is great. And then the new one I have also on phone is also from EA. So they did it right the first time. They didn't get it right this time. With uh, This one I think is just called Tetris Ultimate, I think. They tried to add some new features in. Oh, no, it's just Tetris. It's still just called Tetris. It's just not... I like the unlimited feel of it, and it's like I'm still trying to break level 20, um, which is great because it's a lot of fun, it's challenging. But at the end of the day, like whenever I mess up at Tetris, it's not because the game's bad, it's because I messed up. Yeah. Do you have the, uh, the issue that I always run into, and I feel like it's a common horror story, where if you're playing Tetris for a while, you just like play through it, like it continues playing when you're trying to sleep, or like you've got your eyes closed, and like the blocks just keep falling? I solved the audio problem by not having it on. Like, I have audio off, but that's also because that way I can, like, play it wherever I am and it doesn't bother people. Yeah. I'm, um, I'm, and that's, I'm not even talking, like, do 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 I'm talking, like, I will, if I, if I go oh. through a bout where I play a lot of Tetris, I will, when I'm trying to sleep at night, like, just see Tetris blocks falling in my, in my mind's eye, like, and I can't sleep because... I've been through mind, that, yeah. My mind continues to play Tetris, even though, mm-hmm. like, it's just making up a Tetris game in my head. Yeah, no, like I have been through that, but that was a long time ago. Yeah. I, I overcame that. I still play Tetris all the time. There you go. Like that is now if if that happens, it happens in my subconscious. I don't deal with that mentally at the forefront anymore. That's all taken care of in the back. That's uh, that's just one of the like there are there are certain games or certain game types where they will just stick with me when I'm trying to like unwind and shut my head down and Tetris is one of them where mm-hmm. if I, if I play Tetris, um, if I go through a, a flurry where I'm playing Tetris, it will stick with me. Other, like if I'm, if I'm diving into shooters a lot of times, I will just see like that, like the that kind of movement, not, not the HUD, just like my, that, that experience wouldn't like in a shooter where you're running. And so you kind of bob a little bit, like your view bobs a little bit that yeah. just stays with me and so oh, i'll just i'll be lying in bed and i'll have that sensation of just bobbing um in whatever i'm doing and it's it's like surreal and weird um but that's like those are some of the gaming things that will stay with me um as i'm trying to like go to sleep mm-hmm. no i don't have that issue that's that's fortunate that's a because it's a weird it's a weird sensation i can so, i can understand I, I envy you a little bit <laughs> No, I just, I play Tetris all the time. Tetris is a part of my life. Like, it has gone beyond just being a game. That's why it's my favorite game of all time, because it's a part of life, and it keeps going just like life does. Did I mess up? Did I blow this game of Tetris? Cool, I'll start from the beginning. Mm-hmm. Let's go. Are, are there, so you you play predominantly on your phone. That's probably your favorite version of the, of the game. Is it? No, like- my favorite version of the game is either, like, an emulated version of the original NES Tetris, Okay. Um, the original Game Boy Tetris, I'm also a big fan of. Those are basically the same, but you know, NES has the notorious like 8-bit soundtrack. Yeah. Do, 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 do. That that whole thing is just awesome to listen to. 
however, Tetris, like Tetris Attack on the PC, I think is probably the best version, just because you can change the settings and speeds and everything like that. You can just do different things. Mm -hmm. um, also, on mobile, the biggest problem I have is that I don't control uh, very well the way, that, like which direction it flips. So it's just rotating continuously for me, which means that I want it to do a T-spin with a T-bar, but I can't because if I try to do it this way, it will think that I still want to go this way when I want it to go this way to kind of slide it in. Yeah. I run that's, into problems like that all the time. It screws with me and it ruins my games. That's the the that's why when you say like that the, the mobile version is like what got you into it a little bit. I was that's yeah. why I balk. I'm like, but there's no good way that it controls on mobile. Yeah, it, it controls like a hot piece of garbage, but it also can go with me anywhere. Yeah. I can play it anywhere and I don't have once you get used to it, you don't have as many problems, but it's like those one brief moments where you need it, this like just this piece to slide in just right mm -hmm. and it won't do it for you because you screw it up because you're on a mobile device. Yeah. Um, but the best one is definitely going to either be um, for the big my brother in law has it. He has it he still has his original Game Boy. It still works, and it still plays Tetris. And he has that, and that is fun. Um, and then on the flip side, NES, anytime you can play the original NES version, it's phenomenal. It's just yeah. out of this world great. Uh, and then some variations, Tetris Attack on the PC. Uh, you can just find it at websites. Just, they just have it as a Flash game, basically. Mm -hmm. And on the other side of things is Dr. Mario. Anything Dr. Mario, bootleg, regular, whatever it might be, cheap knockoff. The pill flipping effect is just because that's what hooked it for me. Was I finally got like, oh, you rotate them around and you make them match up and then they drop and that's the point. Mm -hmm. So, do you uh, so like in in some of the newer Tetris? Because I haven't played many of the like outside of Nintendo era, Game Boy era. Like I occasionally would go back to those games, mm -hmm. but I don't think I've really played any of the new more wild and crazy iterations with like online play and stuff like that do you do any kind of that any of that no. kind of like i mean like even on on the mobile version though like are you chasing high scores are you chasing your own high score are you out there chasing a leaderboard the only person on the mobile leaderboard is kaylee woomer and i use her as a benchmark to know that i'm not sucking in that game well, there you go so if i can beat her then that means i'm in the clear Calling more people should just it. more people should just like get Tetris for the mobile device. Do as best as you can, just so that I have benchmarks that I can overcome. There you go. I have you, that. Uh, you should play at a uh, PSX. You and Zyger should have like a, a sit down because he's he uh, he spends a lot of time with some Tetris. So it'd be an interesting uh, battle. He'll probably kick my ass. Could, possibly. I mean, if you're, I, like if you're I've as never bad claimed as, to be, as you yeah. say you are <laughs> at video games, possibly, but. Yeah, maybe. I'd love to play. I love Tetris. Tetris is my favorite game of all time. What's funny is uh, the first time I've ever actually been asked what's my favorite game of all time, the first time I've ever been asked that was at Kind of Funny Live 1, and it was by uh, Nikki from Lipstick Nerds. Okay. I'm having brunch with her, her fiancé, and baby daddy G. Yeah. Um, Yermo. And Nate, you know, Nate from yep. Arizona as well, yep. uh, who will... He's going to PSX, yeah. so super excited about that. Uh, oh, but so we were like having the, the, the was this at the brunch at that, mm -hmm. at that little hole in the wall place that they like 
Just will be shut down. To. Yeah. Oh uh, where they they only had like five people to run the entire place. Yeah, they were not anticipating a group of forty people rolling up. Nope. On a, on a Saturday morning there. Uh, but she, Nikki just asked me. She's like, "What's your favorite game?" And I was like, "Uh huh." And the first thing that came to my mind was Tetris. And I was like, "How do I tell like some hardcore gamer people?" that my favorite game is like the go-to bullshit answer for casual gamers. It's a, it's a solid answer though. It's yeah. like Tetris that's what has, I thought at the time. has stood. Like, I mean, that's, I, uh, we were, I mean, we were like, we were talking about it a little bit. I looked up, I, I, like I would venture a guess that that is probably the most sold game of all time is Tetris. Um, it threw across all of its iterations. Yeah. We, I found a number of like 125 million copies sold, from like 2009 so that's not counting half of your mobile ports and stuff these days um so i mean it it has stood the test of time for a reason and it is that gameplay hook that that you're uh that you're you were going on about it's just how perfect. uh it's like, I, mean, like, I just want to talk about the gameplay hook for a second yeah. it is literally perfect there is nothing more perfect than anybody can and this is the ultimate expression of anybody can pick it up but it's difficult to master because yeah. right when you think you have everything down, you fuck up. It, the game doesn't fuck up. You fuck up. And it's just like that human error moment that it's, just makes your entire thing just like – I would say crash down, but that would be good in Tetris. So instead yeah. it builds up over the screen. Yeah. I would. I mean I'll give you that it's uh, it's definitely – there is a, a human error component, but it could also be like just the randomness of that game and the blocks that you're getting in it. Um, so it is like – it is just kind of, it can be pure chaos as well. Oh, it can. Um, but in those moments when you're like, you're at that top point and you kn you see what you have coming up next and you just know you have to work some magic and it's like, oh, the challenge is there. Like it's in my hand. Sometimes I let it like build up crazy just so I can give myself a challenge. Yeah. And it's just so, like there's so many things you can do. Then there's like my the original mobile Tetris that I really love had a... Um, a special mode where you could use like different tools to make things a little bit more interesting. Mm -hmm. um, like they would like take a full thing and then shrink it. Uh, and you can press it into a smaller, like, like it basically cut off uh, blocks. Got and it. so you'd have to maneuver smaller blocks and it's just fun. The challenge mode in the new Tetris mobile, like it's so, it looks like it'd be really fun but they don't let you get into it. And I'm like, I'm still in the tutorial and I'm just like, no, I'm done. I know how to play Tetris. Let me play the game, please. Mm, okay. But they want to like, they want to take my hand and like walk me through it. And I'm like, I'm not about that. Yeah. Do you do any kind of any, like, do you go out there and see like awesome games done quick and, and see like crazy skilled, uh, like YouTube videos of amazing Tetris players? Yes, and that's why I know I'm a hot piece of garbage. That's the, you're a hot piece of garbage. Oh, just in, in terms of, like, their skill level versus mm -hmm. your skill level? Yeah. I mean, they're, like, it's insane. Like, some of the things I, I see out there, I'm like, how are you, how is any of that possible? Like, you're already dropping three blocks down by the time I saw the first one or something like that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that's, it. like, yeah. That, some of that stuff just is incredibly like the, impressive. Yeah. The big leap between me and somebody who's probably good at this game is that I don't drop usually. I let it sift down and I like rotate it and I figure out what I want to do with it. Mm -hmm. I take my time when I play Tetris, which is why in Tetris Attack I got my ass handed to me all the time. But that, how does that? I mean, so in something like that, how? 
so are you like really good and really feel comfortable in like early game of Tetris, but then as it starts speeding up, you get overwhelmed or? No, I actually prefer it when it starts to overwhelm me. Okay. It's a weird thing. I, I have crazy, terrible anxiety, but when I play Tetris and it, the anxiety heats up, like it gets really, I get really anxious about it. I get really into it, which is really unlike me. Normally when I have high anxiety about something, I avoid it at all costs, but just something about Tetris, like towards that end game when it's just like when I'm at that tippity top and it's just like, I can do this. I can make this ma- like I can make, like I can make some magic happen here. And I just am able to do it and it drops low. And I like when you're up at that tippity top and then you're able to drop it down to the very bottom, you feel like a brilliant Tetris God. And those are the moments like I have never gotten that playing any other game. Yeah. That sense, that sense of triumph only to lose it five minutes later because I'm slipping up and messing up. Mm -hmm. Uh, how uh, yeah. and I don't I don't even have like a barometer for this, but how, like how long do you think you would say your probably your average game is in in a, in a game of Tetris? That's tough uh, because I do because when I play it mobily, I do break it up. Like I do, like, like I do. Like if if you're playing, you might just be like, oh well, I've got to go hop on the light rail now, and so I'm gonna turn it off, and then so that game's just done. Or is it no, that kind of thing? no, it pauses it, and then you jump back into it. Um, it can go anywhere from averagely. I'd probably say I get to about 30 minutes to an hour, somewhere within that range. And I've just out of, I've never timed myself, so I don't know. I can, I know that in the original Tetris game, like for mobile devices, I could beat a 15 level game of Tetris, uh, within 10 to 15 minutes. Um, so maybe it wouldn't take me that long now that I think about it. I don't know. I've never thought about that. Okay. That's why I'm, I'm like way overestimating. I think I probably last my games usually around 15 to 20 minutes. Um, I mean, yeah, it's I, like, it, I just, I always think of like, uh, cause I think of it in the song where I'm like, I, I just think of the song speeding up. <laughs> and so no, like, that would drive me crazy. I play it with the sound off. Probably yeah. for that reason alone, I should well, keep like, it. So, the, I mean, those are my memories from the from the Nintendo and the Game Boy era mm-hmm. versions of the game. So, I feel like I would be like out in like five minutes, probably because it's like it starts out fine and calm and peaceful, and then yeah, yeah, if I'm having like a particularly good run, I might last like 10, 15 minutes. But I feel like it was probably much more like oh, I get overwhelmed pretty quickly as just it speeds up so much quicker. Um, I used to. Um... But no, now it's just there's something sincere, like serene and cathartic about it that I just I don't have that problem. There you go. Uh, I get I get lost in the blocks. That's what I do. I get lost in the blocks. Excellent. Any uh, any final thoughts on uh, on Tetris before we dive in uh, to the next topic? Yeah, none. I think I probably I laid it all out there. I think. Yeah, yeah that's solid. A solid entry into the tro- Trove Talk favorite video games, Tetris. Specifically, Tetris on mobile, because you're weird. <laughs> I'm sorry. That's where I play it the most. <laughs> but my favorite version of it is probably either on Game Boy or NES, because those are just the classics. Yeah, I'm just giving you crap. Yeah. It's Tetris all good. Attack. I love Tetris Attack, but I suck at it because people kick my ass. Yeah. Yeah, it's, and that's the, like, I've not, I don't think I've even played Tetrises where you're, like, when you 
get a Tetris or something, it throws blocks onto your opponent's, like, like I don't think I've played multiplayer Tetris really. In, it's misery, in my experience, because it'd be a, it'd be an interesting one for me to like to try and attempt, um, in this day and age. Although I will say, Colin and Greg playing it is fantastic. Yeah, that's a lot of fun. Because <laughs> Greg beats Colin, and Colin doesn't understand how. Yeah, that's fantastic. Good times. All right. Oh. Topic three, the getting to know you portion of the show. And we landed on that for you, we wanted to talk about wrestling, right? Yep. So tell me about wrestling, Cameron. Wrestling. love of wrestling. So professional wrestling specifically. Yes. I'm not big into amateur uh, or Greco-Roman wrestling as it's also known. Um, it's just, it's too, I don't know, it's real, I guess. We're, there's no, there's nothing dramatic or thematic about it. The rope opera. Yeah, the rope opera is definitely the best way to put it. Uh, the opera in between the ropes. Actually, it's less opera and more melodrama. Yes, if, it's... We've both done theater, so we both understand the principle of melodrama. Mm-hmm. And that's all wrestling is. Yes. However, it's also, in a, like, at the same time, it takes a level of athletic skill that is... The athletic skill level that it takes to be a professional wrestler at the top of the game, like at the top of the industry, is the same you'd expect from a gymnast, uh, a f- like any kind of athlete. Absolutely, yeah. That's why they go through athletic training because these people are doing things that, and honestly, in taking a move, so when they take a move wrong, it can do more damage than if they had just get, like taken like been given that move for real. Yeah. So somebody does a wrestling move on someone, them taking it wrong, incorrect, them taking it incorrectly could lead to them being more injured than if the person had done it to them for real. Yeah, we did a, uh, at, at Stray Cat Theater, we did a show a few years back called The Elaborate Entrance of Chad Deity. And it was like a wrestling show and uh, about basically like, backstage wrestling politics and this oh, uh, like race relations and stuff told through the lens of wrestling you would have loved it i think um, oh for sure but we did like we had a uh like a local um uh like indie wrestling thing was it uh it, was it phoenix pro wrestling that maybe, did it i don't i don't remember they but they lent us their ring effectively and one of the one of the guys was basically our wrestling consultant and helped teach the actors some of the wrestling moves and stuff and during tech week uh, like the big, the big wrestling move in the uh, in the show, like the main character's big like finisher was a power bomb. Oh and, gosh! And they like did it, and uh, and the like the jobber uh, role who played like three different wrestlers that got beaten each time. Um, he like ended up really messing up his back in that like in Tech Week, and they basically had to re they they had to rework it so they like filmed the segment instead of having a lot of like live wrestling in the show. Like we originally were supposed to, Mm -hmm. um, they turned it into like film segments in the, in the, uh, the final week of the show. So that like, it wasn't doing it every week, even though he really wanted to still try and do it. And he like, after that first weekend, he was cleared to do it. Um, it was like, well, we don't want to like, we don't want something going wrong again and, yeah. and messing it up. So no, a power bomb can, these are like just the top three things that can happen when you, uh, do a power bomb incorrectly. You can break your neck, you yep. can break your back and you can break your hips. <laughs> That's just breaking stuff. Not talking about twisting, tearing, anything else. And it, 
and honestly, it looks like one, it would be one of the easiest and safest moves to do. Mm-hmm. But it requires so much momentum from both parties. Yeah. And they have to work in tandem for it. Like, And that's the thing. Wrestling is performance art. Don't get me wrong. I'm not going to be out here saying, it's a sport or it's a – like, you have to be incredibly athletic to do it. But at the same time, you – like, it takes a certain level of trust and choreo- choreography. There are wrestlers who actually don't choreograph at all. They mm-hmm. call it – they say the, – the terminology they use is they call it in the ring, which means yeah. – they mention, they whisper code phrases to the other person so the person knows what they need to do to react to what the other person's going to do. Mm-hmm. And that takes years upon years upon years of training to do. And that's old school. Now, they, most of the time, they choreograph it or they have a under, brief understanding of the choreography, especially yeah. for big shows and big spots, they call it. Big move. In a, in a match, a spot is a moment where something really important about the momentum of the match happens and everything about his momentum. It's ebbs and flows. Yeah. It's, it's storytelling. It's Mm -hmm. got like a beginning, a middle and an end to a match. And it's just so brilliant. There's just so much stuff about it. The thing about it is when I was growing up, I thought it was real. Yeah. Like every kid does, but I thought it was real for much longer than I should have (laughs) (laughs) to my and because of that, when I found out it wasn't like it was totally completely fake, I was hurt. Like I'd be lying to say I wasn't hurt that this fantasy that I thought existed within reality wasn't real. So that's the thing. Like it being fake. Like uh, the we talked when I when I came in and did uh, Naughty Gamers. We talked that I recently got into like what culture wrestling mm-hmm. in their videos and stuff. And uh, and one of the points they bring up is like, yeah, wrestling's fake. So is Breaking Bad. So 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 like, is everything you love any, on television. Any, yeah, any scripted thing is fake. It's just like it's it's not. There are fake things that are pretending to be real, like mm-hmm. wrestling. Um, uh, but then well, there are fake things that ha- that are very clearly a scripted show. Yeah, a big thing that a lot of people don't understand about it is wrestling is a television show a fictional television show that is telling the story of a real athletic promotion. Yeah. So within this fictional universe that they are all pretending to be a part of, this is a real company that is an athletic organization, the same as the NFL or anything else. It's just a completely different quote unquote sport. Mm -hmm. What you're watching is actors and stunt people performing this show for you and they do it live and it sets it apart from anything else that you could ever find on television. The only thing that comes close is UFC and that's an actual combat sport. Yeah. Uh, and there ever since the beginning, Dana, like between the rivalry between Dana White and like Vince McMahon is ridiculous. The Twitter feud or like the Twitter tirades Dana White goes on about the WWE and how it's fake and everything. It's like Dana White, we all know. Get off your high horse. Uh, so when did you get into wrestling? Let's let's take it I back was, a little bit. I was about six or seven. And so did you get into like WWF? Did you were no, you? No, I got into WC. I got into WCW. Okay. So we're there. We're talking. This is was during the Monday Night Wars and stuff. Mm-hmm. Like. This is 1996, and this thing. Since I'm so into wrestling, I actually know around the time period that I started watching wrestling. Mm-hmm. And what's funny is when you're growing up and you look back at wrestling. 
you realize how short of a time frame things happened. Yeah. But at the time, it feels like they went on forever. Right. Because it's, I mean, it's, you, you're seeing basically one thing a week, maybe mm-hmm. two, if you're in like a Raw and SmackDown era or something like that. Or what, and what was the, what was the? Nitro and Thunder. Were, Nitro so Thunder, Thunder actually came before SmackDown. They did yeah. the two shows. Oh, yeah, like, yeah, no. <laughs> Most of the WWF things came from WCW things. Mm-hmm. Because they pushed them. That was, that's why the Attitude Era, also known as the Monday Night Wars, is considered the best time for wrestling. Kind of like this cool uh, like platinum age type thing where because you had these two companies that were constantly competing with each other, you got the best out of them. Oh, yeah. I mean, like in the, in the gaming sphere, like you have something like Squaresoft and Enix. And then once they merged, a lot of people, myself included, feel like the lack of competition there kind of neutered the games. Mm-hmm. I'd agree with you on that. Uh, but what I will say is that when it comes to wrestling, so 1996 is when I got into wrestling. Because this is 1996 is when Sting became the Crow Sting from the uh-huh. Surfer Sting that he used to be. Right. And the first thing I ever saw was Sting come down from the rafters. And because I was walking up the stairs in, this, in our house and my brother was watching wrestling. I didn't know it at the time, but my brother had been watching wrestling like his entire life. Like my brother met Hulk Hogan. My brother was a Hulk, like part of the Hulkamania, mm-hmm. which is a weird thing to say now. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, there's a there's a bit of added context now. Yeah, well, I look at it this way. This all also came out around the same time about as the stuff about Bill Cosby. Yeah. So it's like you know what? At least like one of them is not as bad as the other. Yeah. But it's still bad. Yeah. But it's also, when you look at it, this is a man in his late 60s who grew up in the South. Mm-hmm. Of course he's going to use that language when he thinks that he's alone. I mean, not of course. Like, you could also not use that language. For sure. But, like, is anybody really surprised that he used that language? No. that's Yeah, I mean, I'm like, I'm not. But still, it's, it's not, like... It's not cool that he used that language for sure. Yeah. I'm not trying to. I'm not trying to be an apologist about this. Right. Um, I just. I don't know how to feel about it because it's. I mean, I mean, on that, like the fact that, like the WWE network is basically like removing him left and right as much as they can. From, oh, they like, put him back history now. Books. Oh, is he back now? Yeah, he's back. Okay. They they didn't announce that they put him back, but because they, they announced that they removed him from their Hall of Fame mm-hmm. website uh, and that he was no longer being considered part of the Hall of Fame, but then they suddenly at they subtly added him back. Okay. Now, granted, another member of the Hall of Fame is Jimmy Snuka, who at this point in time, the like the situation with his brain is so bad that he's basically like almost a walking vegetable. But he was also like possibly like he's looking at murder charges. So right. the WWE Hall of Fame also has like some really sketchy people. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, and that's that's a, yeah the because, the sordid history of of like wrestling and. Well, it's interesting because well, what's really cool about wrestling and what's also really horrifying about wrestling is uh, one second. Sorry, I just need to take a sip of water. Um, is that it's carnies? Like as as much as Vince McMahon wants to put everybody in suits and ties, as much as they spice it up and they like they dress it up. At the end of the day, this was a carny lifestyle up until the late like the early eighties. These people were bored. Like, the only reason why the WWF 
at the time known as the WWWF was so respected is because they had their shows take place in Madison Square Garden. There's only a couple other promotions that were actually like considered classy. Mm -hmm. The rest were carnies. And before that, it was all carnies. Vince McMahon isn't descended from like a line of promoters. He's descended from a line of carnies and charlatans. Now he's a billionaire. Yeah. He is a brilliant mad scientist of booking in wrestling. And booking in wrestling means like the pe person who's in charge of creative storytelling. Right. Uh, he's, I mean, uh, like for the last handful of years, it's been Stephanie is in charge of creative. She's, te she's technically, she's, they say she's in charge of creative, but at the end of the day, he's in every meeting. He's yeah. on the road. He's I mean, well, yeah, making he's every final good. decision. And what's funny is that every time people were like, oh, well, this development happened with this character. Was that like Stephanie or was that like somebody else? And what comes out from like rumors coming back from it are like, no, that was Vince. Like he still understands, he's such a master of his craft that even at his age, like he, nobody can touch him. Mm -hmm. The only person who was ever competitive with him enough was Dusty Rhodes. And Dusty Rhodes unfortunately passed away last year. Yeah. Um, uh, very, very tragic. Uh, he has two sons that are wrestlers as well. Cody Rhodes, who's still active on the independent scene after leaving WWE, and then Dustin Rhodes, who is currently Gold Dust on right. WWE. One of the strangest characters that's ever existed in all of television. Is he? I mean, that's not he was the, a, he was a dude who used to. Gold, that's not the Gold Dust that like was Gold Dust when I was growing up. Is it? Is it? Oh yeah. Guy? Still oh, same yeah. guy. Oh okay. Same guy. Okay. The androgynous. Yeah. Uh, like, I remember that, and then I feel like that, like that, disappeared for years and years. I mean, especially because it's like the androgynous version of it from the Attitude Era. Um, definitely seems like it wouldn't play well in the PG era. And it didn't. He left the company for a while and then came back later. Okay. Uh, but they rebooted the character to just be a dude who's crazy, wears fate like black and gold face paint. Yeah, and like he, he came and he back into like, my. Gold. He wears a full suit, like a full like a uh, spandex like leather suit, mm -hmm. but it's not like sexual as it used to be. Got it. Because yeah, I remember him coming back into like the limelight with his feud with uh, Stephen Amell, like that they were building. Oh no, that's yeah. not that's not Gold Dust. Well, oh, that's not that. What, that was, was Stardust. That? Okay. <laughs> so Stardust is Cody Rhodes. Cody Rhodes okay. is the youngest son of Dusty Rhodes. He was originally just. Cody Rhodes in WWE, and then they had him become a Goldust-like character called Stardust, and he did the rivalry with Stephen Amell. Okay. Basically, he uh, people would chant Cody, Cody, and that would make him like go insane, and he'd lose matches because of that because he's like he mentally snapped. Got it. And he was a bad guy, but. Essentially, Cody Rhodes wanted to do something different. He tried pushing consistently to do something different, and he just they just wouldn't give him the room to do it, and so he left. He asked for his release, and now he's touring the independent scene, tearing it up, doing a great right. job out there. Do you? Uh, so, I mean, you still watch? Uh, yeah. Like, yes. yes. You mm -hmm. still watch regularly? Do you only do WWE, or like, are you doing like TNA's? One of the other I do not touch now? TNA. I do okay. not touch TNA with a ten foot pole. Even though they had Sting, I just I couldn't never get into it. I just never could. Um, which sucks because apparently there's been some really great stuff that's happened there over the years. But that was also when TNA was coming about. That was also when I was like done with wrestling. 
-hmm. I was done with wrestling for about 13 years. Okay. No, 15 years. I was done with wrestling for 15 years of my life. And so there's like a 15-year gap, and that's where TNA exists. Um, That's when the rebooted WWE-controlled version of ECW, which was definitely not as good, Mm -hmm. existed. Uh, That's also where a lot of like people have come and gone over the years that I'm not familiar. I'm familiar with them now, but when I started back up into wrestling, I had no idea who they were. Yeah. Uh, So were you, I mean, so like, I remember when I, back when I was still in, uh, in, into wrestling and stuff, I remember the, the whole, when the Monday night wars ended and WWF bought out WCW, that being a whole thing, were you around for that? I was You still, okay. I was around through most of the invasion angle. Like and that's like I I remember that and then I don't know I feel like I was still there for probably a couple of years I don't remember when I fell off and it would have been probably like ninety nine two thousand quick question had Shawn Michaels come back yet I feel like he was coming like he came back as like a referee for stuff okay so you're you're probably done ninety nine two thousand yeah, I was I feel like around. I was not around for for his like when he was doing a whole bunch of stuff at like in the two thousands at like WrestleManias yeah. and stuff. So I left right before he came back in SummerSlam of 2001. Okay. Um, I ended around that time. SummerSlam 2001 is basically where I stopped caring about wrestling and watching it. Uh, to the point where, like, my mother was worried. She's like, okay. it's through. I was like, hey, Mom, yeah. And she's like, what are you, like, aren't you going to watch wrestling? And I was like, no, it's fake. And my mom was like, oh, okay, like... Yeah, yeah, we know Cam. <laughs> it's like, okay. Like, it's you're putting away the childish things and moving on with your life. Yeah. Did, but you, then I uh, I mean, did you watch, like, pay-per-views and stuff when you when you watch, were watching it the first no, time? No, I couldn't no? afford that. No. Yeah, that's, I think we talked about that a little bit on Naughty Gamer. I was the same way. It was like, I would have it on. Like, I would, I would have the pay-per-view channel turned on, so it would just be blurry, and I would occasionally see something. Mm-hmm. We talked, I think, a little bit about how I remember, like, hearing when Owen Hart fell and hit the ring and died like that. Shit. Like I remember yeah. hearing that live, but not being able to see anything that was going on and then reading it in like recaps and stuff immediately like published online on like blogs and stuff. Yeah. Um, like I remember those, like that's an iconic moment that I remember that I wasn't yeah. I was never actually watching. Cause yeah, I think I think I ever, ever only saw like one or two pay-per-views and it was like, after I even like mostly been out of wrestling, but like I had some friends in high school that were still super into wrestling, and like one of them invited me over for like a WrestleMania one year, and I was like, I don't remember, I don't really remember like what's going on, but it was a cool to get to just like see and experience that with other people. Mm-hmm. It had mostly been a just a thing I would do like in the comfort of my own home. So like experiencing it and and, and get, like going over with other people and and, uh, and having those pops just like on somebody else's couch was fun but yeah it was definitely not like the, the norm experience i think your your mic is uh is my mic popping up popping in and out yeah well fill sticks all right dang it let me uh try something Back in. Any better? Yeah, there we go. We're good. There we go. Cool. 
Yep. So uh, don't worry, I got the entire gist of that. No, that's something really cool. Um, I actually have never uh, watched a pay-per-view with anybody else because I don't know anybody who watches wrestling. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do know people. I shouldn't say that. I know people who watch wrestling, but like none of them live around me. Yeah. Um, it's the weird. I mean, like even even outside of that, like even though I stopped watching wrestling, I would still like I'll still read recaps and stuff on IGN, um, and and like see the big pay per view mm-hmm. like storylines or uh, Matt Fowler's like West wrestling um, wrap ups weekly. Like Matt Fowler my- wrestling. Matt Fowler does a great job writing about wrestling. Yeah. Like I I have stayed more or less like aware of what's going on through his recaps. Um, even though I, yeah, I haven't watched it in years. Um, and so, then now, now that I got into the, like the top 10 videos and stuff that what culture mm-hmm. does, um, regularly and, and just kind of have been binging those, I definitely have a much better sense of the last 10 years of wrestling that I haven't been paying any attention to. Um, so that's, I'm, it's, yeah. it's an interesting thing to come back into. I still am not like overly interested in like watching it again and, mm-hmm. and getting the WWE network and really diving in full tilt. Cause I've just got so many other things that I juggle. It's okay. Uh, I made that, I made that mistake for the both of us. Yeah. There you go. Uh, no, they, I do have the WWE network. Um, what's interesting going on right now though, is that they split the brands again. Yeah. I, yeah. I've seen that. And they're, and now they're doing two pay-per-views a month. Yep, but however, what they're doing is they're doing two-hour pay-per-views. So before pay-per-views were like three hours long, uh-huh. now they're doing two, sh- like two a month, two short pop pay-per-views, two hours a piece, um, and just quick like five or six matches each. That's yeah. It. That's like, like I heard. I heard Backlash was really like Backlash was amazing. Was great, and then I heard Night of Champions was kind of like, eh, if this is if this is what we're going to get in doing two a month, maybe let's drop it back to one a month. Right. Um, no, man. There's just something great about. So the thing is, it's not necessarily that it's the two a month. The problem is, is that uh, SmackDown is just killing it right now. Okay. Like every time you think, oh, maybe SmackDown is kind of letting it like. Uh, SmackDown isn't feeling as great. All of a sudden, there's like this like amazing moment. It feels like it's capturing some energy that is just amazing. You have like John Cena getting his ass handed to him, and it's awesome. <laughs> AJ Styles is currently the WWE World Champion, and right. what's great about it though is that he's he used to be Mr. TNA. Yeah, he's not from the like the WWE company. He's only been with them since January after mm-hmm. the Royal Rumble where he came into like the biggest pop, like people yeah. went insane over it. Um, me included. I was like, this is crazy. Cause I'd followed him in, you asked me if I just watched WWE. I do watch WWE, but I also follow uh, new Japan pro wrestling. Okay. Um, not as in depth as I follow WWE, but I do keep an eye on like who's holding the belts over there, where the storylines going on over there, mostly because Kenny Omega is a thing. Kenny Omega is possibly the best wrestler in the world right now. Arguably the best wrestler in the world. Between his in-ring performance, the stories he tells. So Kenny Omega, I'm just going to paint this picture here for you. Okay. Do you. How much do you know about Kenny Omega? None. Awesome. Kenny Omega, think like Xavier Woods type nerd level, and then like duplicate that like by three or four times. Okay. Because so I was just thinking, like, if 
I like I wish there had been a Xavier Woods in mm -hmm. wrestling back when I watched it that like I could identify with in mm -hmm. in a weird way. Um because yeah, I love I love all the stuff. And that's like I I don't watch, but I will see like the videos of him and New Day like pop up. Oh, and, and so I like I get the highlight gist of all the super nerdy Super Saiyan things that they're doing, even if they're not like the nerd culture that I'm a part of, like Dragon Ball Z, never watched. Um, but like I get the references because I am in that ecosystem. Right. So it's yeah, like I, I love that he has been able to take his passion in that in in our weird nerdy realm and elevate it to that level and that it's gone over so well. Well, what's awesome, though, is uh, I have a New Day shirt. Mm -hmm. I like I bought a New Day shirt. Like I love the New Day. Um, I love all three members of it for their individual reasons. Like, what's really funny though is that like Big E, who's the big guy on their team, he is like, oh my gosh, I just love whenever he does anything that has to do with like the hips. He just has crazy hips. At one point, they won a match, and he literally laid back on the mat and just started air humping. And it's like, oh, Biggie, you're crazy. You're crazy, Biggie. Yeah. And he has, like, this tongue that he, like, lets out. It's it's gross. It's totally gross. But it's hilarious. I'm sorry. So we got sidetracked. Kenny Omega yeah. is Kenny Omega. basically... Zyger was taken up to a different level. So Kenny Omega was is a Canadian wrestler. Uh, actually from, like, the same area as uh, Chris Jericho, funny enough. Okay. Uh, somebody who's now being considered one of the greatest of all time wrestlers, because he is. Right. Uh, and it uh, did Jericho like, like I mean, I that's weird. I like I love the storied history of wrestling. Like I love mm -hmm. the legacy of like the Guerrero family and the Hart family and the Hart Foundation, right? Um, and kind of like those schools of wrestling. Uh, did Jericho come out of kind of out of the same area as uh, as the as Hart family? Hearts, yeah. Mm -hmm. okay. He's Canadian. He's from Saskatchewan, actually. Okay. Uh, and, is, and are Edge and Christian also in that kind of same vein? No, Edge and Christian are not part of that same vein. Edge and Christian, so... Different Canadians, I'm just being... Different crazy. Canadians, yeah. yeah. Uh, so you have... There are people who... So basically what you're looking for is people who got broken into the business by Stampede Wrestling, which is the... Or was the uh, Hart family promotion that broke in all the Hart family. Mm -hmm. So they were territorial up in Canada still. And what ended up happening is uh, they sent Bret Hart, Owen Hart, and some of their other guys down south to WWF, try out. They made it. They became the Hart Foundation um, in WWF during the golden or during the new era, which is the early 90s, where you have like Bret Hart coming out with his, you know, cool visor glasses. Yeah. Um. So you have people who came through what's called the Heart Dungeon, which is basically they were trained by the Heart family. And then you have people who, um, and I'm not 100% sure, I don't think Jericho went through the Heart Dungeon. He might have, though, but where Jericho actually got a, his big push, like he really found his foundation, was in Japan. Yeah. Because um, Japan was doing the cruiserweight thing before anybody else was. And Jericho was... Uh, what is called the Walls of Jericho in Japan, he called it the Lion Tamer. Um, he had he had a big like lion gimmick about himself, mm -hmm. uh, and he actually like did rival matches with Jushin Thunder Liger, who's a epic wrestler. 
who has a long and storied career all over the world. Uh, and he did a bunch of stuff over there in Japan along with two other people um, or three other people, Dean Malenko, who was a like high level technician over there, Chris Benoit, who was known as Kid Pegasus and Eddie Guerrero. So these four guys get recruited by WCW to establish the cruiserweight division. Right. Um, you know, they come through, they feel like the cruiserweight division isn't giving, getting enough attention. Chris Jericho is the first one to leave. Um, he leaves, he goes to WWF. He does that amazing, like his first rivalry he ever has is with The Rock, of all people. Immediately he went from being the mid-card at WCW to being top-tier level at WWF. Y2J, baby. Y2J. That countdown for Y2J was brilliant. And then, uh, then you have the other guys come in as the radicals, uh, even though that didn't work out. Like they end up breaking up and going in different routes throughout WWF. Mm-hmm. Um, but Chris Jericho, I don't believe he's through there. But uh, anyway, so Kenny Omega's from that same kind of r- really rural country area of like northern Canada, northeastern Canada, I should say. Um, and he's a was a big into wrestling. He tried breaking into like American like other promotions, and he just wasn't finding anything. So he made a tape and sent it over to Japan, to a Japanese promotion. Where basically there's this Japanese promotion where they will just have wrestling matches anywhere, like in the middle of a mall, in the middle of a supermarket. Like they will have like an actual wrestling match there. And so he showed off like he was willing to do moves off of like giant piles of like like in a like in a construction yard or like he did a bunch of stuff and it got him enough attention that they brought him over they tried him out and he became one of their top tier guys over there now Kenny Omega comes over he's a huge fan of you know anime video games Japanese culture all this other stuff you know a total nerd and he when he comes over he learns Japanese or he already knew Japanese and he speaks their language and in wrestling, white, like non-Japanese national wrestlers are called gaijin. Mm-hmm. You know, they're gaijin wrestlers. Normally, gaijin wrestlers are bad guys. You know, you cheer for your hometown heroes, the Japanese national wrestlers. Uh, sometimes gaijins are so popular that they get cheered anyway. But what ended up happening with Kenny Omega is because he's coming, and so most time gaijins just speak in English. That's it, because they don't. You don't need to pick up Japanese. Um, and Japanese wrestling isn't as promo-driven as American wrestling is, mm-hmm. like like night and day. And actually, they treat it more like a contact sport because they call it strong style, where basically they really hit you. Like, they actually hit you. Mm-hmm. Um, to the point where, like, uh, the king of strong style, he's actually wrestling in WWE right now, uh, Shinsuke Nakamura. Love that guy. He's basically like if Freddie Mercury and Michael Jackson had a love ch- had a Japanese love child, and he pursued wrestling as his goal. Yeah, I saw the, was it the, uh, some promo, like, two-night thing. What's the, what's oh, the... Oh, uh, NXT TakeOver. Yeah, that. Like, I saw, he's he was the one that came out in all red and had his whole shtick. He, he only dresses in the red leather suit. That's yeah. all he ever wears. Yeah, I saw, I saw, like, his entrance, and I was like, okay, yeah, this is, maybe I don't miss wrestling. Because <laughs> no, I was he, just like, I, I, I didn't get his... Thing. His thing is that he's like he comes out as a rock and roller, which is a type of kind of like swagger uh-huh. that you have in Japan. 
Um, he's he's transferred that over, but the thing is, he's so amazing in the ring. Like he just tells amazing. He doesn't. He's learning the language a lot. Be- like he's much better now than he was when he first got here. But he tells such beautiful stories in the ring. He and Brock Lesnar were contemporaries. With Brock Lesnar, worked very briefly in Japan. Mm-hmm. A dream match is to see that rematch between Brock Lesnar and Shinsuke Nakamura. Because Shinsuke Nakamura, his finisher move is where he slams his knee into the side of your head. Where you are like on your knees and he runs over and slams his knee into your head. It's called the Bombaye. And he pins you afterwards. And it's brutal as fuck. <laughs> um, if, you, like, just, if you just Google the match, Sami Zayn versus Shinsuke Nakamura, it's, it's magic. It's magic in the ring. People start chanting towards the end of the match, fight forever <laughs> because it's you don't want that to end because it's so beautiful and the reason why it's, uh, what's really cool Sami Zayn's finishing move is called um, uh, the haluva kick where basically he runs he, you're like standing up in the corner and he runs at you and then at the very last moment he shoves his leg up into the air and kicks you in the face uh so you have these two guys who have these, and the thing is he practices a strong style as well. Um, so Kenny Omega comes over and he's speaking Japanese to the audience and to people. He's you know, being very humble. He's, um, and eventually he gets brought into New Japan Pro Wrestling, NJPW. And during that time, there's a club, there's um, a stable called the Bullet Club, which is huge in independent wrestling and in NJPW. Um, started by Finn Balor when he was known as Prince David in Japan. Um, they started using the click, uh, you know, wolf things with, uh, and they're so good that they got like other members of the click are just like, yeah, use it. Like, use our hand sign because you guys are that good. Um, they have this amazing, like, s- Bullet Club has its own shirt design. If you Google it, it's amazing looking. Um, just, Basically, they brought like NWO-type tactics, like real heel wrestling tactics from the West, into New Japan Pro Wrestling and started winning that way. And they were the bad guys. They were the Gaijin wrestler stable that were like actual bad guys, and they, refu- and they never talked in Japanese. They always talked in English. And they were like – they would just like systematically tear apart the national wrestlers, and they just dominated New Japan Pro Wrestling. But whenever it came time for those clinch matches to like – finally win the, you know, the heroes, the, the faces would overcome the odds and win, you know, very heroic storytelling. Uh, anyway, at the time, AJ Styles, who's now WWE champion was head of the bullet club in new Japan pro wrestling. And what ended up happening is while this is happening. Um, Kenny Omega gets signed to New Japan Pro Wrestling. And so he's, at, so he's being asked by the outlets, by the reporters, so are you going to join the Bullet Club? And he explains to them, he goes, you know, I'm not a gaijin wrestler. And he's saying this all in Japanese, of course. He goes, I'm not a gaijin wrestler. Like, I'm not, I didn't come over here as like an American wrestler. I came over here and, you know, wrestled a Japanese style. Even though I'm like a foreigner, my style and how I, like how I wrestle and what I do is not a foreigner style. Um, I like I am with the national like the national wrestlers of New Japan Pro Wrestling. 
swerve. He joins the Bullet Club. Dick move. Yeah, he does it. And then he says, uh, he suddenly, he says in Japanese, and he's like, this is the last thing you'll ever hear from me in Japanese. And after that, he just speaks in English. He takes up the title called The Cleaner, which is a joke where basically he comes out with a, like, he'll have a broom sometimes, but what he means by The Cleaner, he means like a Leon the Professional. Mm-hmm. It's made very clear that he does like bullet, like gun things. It makes very clear that he calls himself the cleaner and he will like play around with a broom kind of just with the wordplay. But he's very much, he does this thing called, um, his finishing move is literally called the one winged angel. (laughs) And it is a brutal move. It is insane. And it is so cool. Um, He had a five star. So five stars is like the top, level you can get for a match. He had it with an eight-year-old girl. Okay. Where he wrestled an eight-year-old girl. You can look at... You don't even have to be a wrestling fan, guys. I'm telling you. Google up... Uh, you know, Kenny Omega wrestles little girl. And it is a phenomenal video of just what you can do with wrestling. Kenny Omega is... He can get a five-star match out of an eight-year-old girl. So he has these amazing matches, and what ends up happening is um, AJ Styles loses his Intercontinental belt to uh, Shinsuke Nakamura at Wrestle Kingdom, which is essentially the Japanese NJPW WrestleMania. And afterwards, the next wrestling event afterwards, the the Bullet Club turns on AJ Styles, and Kenny Omega declares himself the new leader. He's the first foreigner to ever win um, a tournament, like this tournament that they held in New Japan Pro Wrestling. And when it came time to like plant the flag, basically, for New Japan Pro Wrestling, it's a ceremonial type thing. He actually tossed their flag out of the ring and took his own Bullet Club flag and put it in. So he, like, he's a total... He's, he does Super the best hit. match. Yeah, he's, he's the ultimate bad guy right now. And he's one of the best wrestlers in the world. He does an amazing job. Like, I just cannot stop gushing about him. He's so incredible. So, best match of all time or, or oh, favorite and, or, and or favorite wrestler if it's not Kenny Omega? It's not Kenny Omega. Um, okay. As much as I love Kenny Omega, Dean Ambrose, any modern wrestler, my favorite wrestler of all time is still going to be the guy that made me fall in love with wrestling. From the moment that I thought it was a live-action Batman and that Sting. Sting. Sting coming so, down from the rafters got me into wrestling because I thought to myself, is this Batman? <laughs> and then, uh, so what favorite matches? Do you have any uh, favorite matches of him? I would love to tell you that my favorite match is him and Hogan Starcade 97, but that's a terrible match. <laughs> uh, mostly because Hogan is... Not a good wrestler. <laughs> no, he's not, but... On top of that, he's it's. There's a lot of problems with that match. There's a false finish that was supposed to be a fast count, but um, oh, is that the, the one? Ref- is that the one that uh, they yeah they they screwed up and the ref counted normally or something? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there's still rumors that like Hogan told the ref to count normally. Hmm. It's just like it, it's a lot of like there's a lot of dumb stuff, and it's the pinnacle of WCW at its worst. Of it has a absolute the greatest story ever being told in wrestling, 
and they ruin it at the end of it. Yeah. The match wasn't that great. People weren't really behind it. Um, Sting's best matches are with either Ric Flair, Clash of Champions, uh, 84 or 80, no, 85, I think. 85 or 86. Absolute classic match. They go to a 45-minute draw, and it's just it puts Sting on the map as far as being like top tier. Mm-hmm. Uh, actually had more people watching it than WrestleMania that year because it was just so incredible. Sting I mean, is just well, such an incredible talent. I mean, that was like... That was one of the early WrestleManias, anyway, right? Like one or two. Or uh, it, it was no, it was like four, I think. Okay. WrestleMania four, or it might have been WrestleMania three, the one where he slammed Andre the Giant. Hulk Hogan slammed Andre the Giant. I, I think mean, yeah, that, that was three, definitely. Yeah, it might have been that one. It's either three or four. I think it was four because it did beat, like, it trounced WrestleMania in ratings. Um, this is, of course, before pay-per-view, and this was during closed-circuit television, which essentially yeah. became cable television later on. Yeah. Uh, man, no, like, there's just... Sting's my favorite wrestler, but my favorite match... Gosh, my favorite match of all time. It's so hard, because there's so many great matches. I mean, my my go-to is the uh, uh, Undertaker Mankind Hell in the Cell. Fuck, that's a great match. At King of the Ring. Yeah. King of the Ring in 96, I think that was. 96 or 97. Where Mankind goes through the hell, the cell. Yeah. And, and like, or go, goes flying off and breaks on the announcer table. And, <laughs> and like, you can look and see um, Mark Calloway in that, in that image being like, did I just kill him? I hope I didn't. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, when you look down at that, and but the best part was when Mankind climbed back onto the cage. Yeah. And they did the choke slam spot. Yeah. And then they fall. And Mankind says in his book, or, you know, Mick Foley says in his book, you know, if he hadn't have taken that choke slam incorrectly, he would have died when he went through. Mm-hmm. Um, he has, you know, there's, after that, he, like, he's in the corner. Like, and you can see his tooth that's been shot up through his upper lip into his yeah. nose. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Oh, that's an amazing match because it just, it's about like, what can the body, what can the human body take? Yeah. So and that's, brutal. and Mark Calloway says, like, he's told Mick, he said, when I put you, like, when you went through the cell, I thought I became a murderer. <laughs> I thought I murdered you. It's just so it's so crazy because Mark Calloway, the Undertaker, is one of the most badass human beings that's ever walked this planet Earth. Mm-hmm. And then on top of that, he's played one of the most iconic and badass characters on planet Earth. Yeah, the Undertaker is is an American uh, badass, you might say. Oh, for sure, American badass. <laughs> like that biker face. A lot of people hate the biker face. I loved it. I like. I'm pretty sure that was at some point during the biker phase was when I walked away from. From wrestling, but I definitely remember being that would have been around. The, that would have been around the time for it, yeah. Yeah, like I remember being around for at least a chunk of the biker phase. Want to know how he went back to the dead man phase? Uh, sure. Randy Orton, who was going by a legend killer gimmick at the time, uh, beat Undertaker in a match and supposedly quote unquote killed him. And so him coming, he came back at the end of I think it was bragging rights. Um a coffin showed up and then was struck by lightning and the undertaker burst out of it. <laughs> Wrestling is so weird. <laughs> Wrestling's the best. 
How do you, uh, just because it's a, it's a point of big contention, how do you think they handled the streak and, and ending the streak specifically? They shouldn't have ended it with Brock. Yeah. Because the streak should have been the pa- like the passing of a torch to a new talent. Brock Lesnar should not have beaten the streak. And now, think, is it well, possible I mean, that the streak? Yes. I think it's completely possible and believable. Yeah. But it didn't. Brock didn't need that. Yeah, I, I agree. In the, in the storytelling and the old style, like from what I've heard of, like rumors, they wanted to, like they wanted to use it in that way to get over a new guy, and like some of the new guys were like, "No, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna be the one to end the streak. No, that's that's way too much pressure on me." The person Mark Calloway told, like, said he so Undertaker and Randy Orton had a match. I think it was WrestleMania 28, mm-hmm. um, and Undertaker wanted to put him over. That's what I. Yeah, that's what I think I've heard too. Yeah, he said he's the new talent. He'll be the new. He'll be your new guy. Do it. And Vince was like, "Okay, we'll do it." And Randy Orton said, "No." Yeah. He's like, I can't do that. I can't pray. Like, you can't. So the thing is, it's like it's a matter of respect. The streak became something of respect. Mm-hmm. And what makes it really sour, especially for somebody like me who looks at it that way as it's like, it's a tradition that was always meant to be broken, but it should have been broken by the right person. Yeah. Brock Lesnar has notoriously like he's notoriously scoffed at tradition in wrestling. He has notoriously caused, you know, he does not respect the culture. He does not respect the business he uses the business to make money. And by all means, like, that's fair. Like, I'm not hating on Brock Lesnar. Brock Lesnar is who Brock Lesnar is. I, like, a part oh, I'm of me hate, loves Brock I'm, Lesnar. I'm hating on Brock Lesnar. He's a fucking disgusting beast of a person. <laughs> yeah, but he can kick ass. He can kick so much ass. Yeah, but, like, when you're doing it for real in a fake thing, that's not cool. <laughs> oh, are you talking about when he broke open Randy Orton's head? I mean, as the latest example, sure. <laughs> uh, that was planned. Um, yeah. It's still but, like, the, I think it went further than it was planned to go. Uh, he was supposed, no, it went just as far as it was supposed to. So those elbow strikes, mm-hmm. the reason why he was doing those elbow strikes in that spot is because Vince, so Brock, if Brock knows how to like break somebody open with an elbow strike, if he does it at just the right spot, which he did on Randy Orton. Um, and Vince knew that. So Vince told Randy, he said, this will be the finish. It'll be a TKO that way. That way you don't get pinned by him, but it still makes Brock look strong. So when he takes off his gloves, that's not out of frustration. That's him getting ready, and that was the signal to like essentially go prone so that he could hit those spots just the right way. It only took two of them to really break him open. Mm-hmm. It's just you don't know how badly the break open is going to get. Yeah. And so it was planned that way, but it also meant that Brock all, but Brock also gave Randy a concussion when he did that. Randy Orton was supposed to have another match in like three weeks from then, and he couldn't get cleared for it, so they had to do something else for it. Yeah. And it's just, yeah, he's a total, like, he's not a great person. He's a total asshole, but, you know, he is the, the epitome of the alpha male, so of course he's going to be that. I mean, yeah, he's like he's absolutely what Vince loves of like big, bulky wrestler. I mean, like we talked touched on the the cruiserweight stuff, which was not 
Like that's not what Vince is interested in doing. Yeah. He does like that's not hit. He is going back even further to him as like a carny person. Like he is a fan of the strongman. Mm-hmm. Like he wants the guys that can like wear the striped bathing suits and have the handlebar mustaches and just be as strong and powerful as they can. Yeah. And and you have that. Yeah. You have the epitome of that in Brock Lesnar. So I get it, but it's not, uh, it's not, it's yeah, it's, it's, it's been too one note over the years for me. For sure. As a, I don't, I don't find him interesting at all. I just think that, he, you know, he's, he is what he is. He's an attraction. Yeah. It's the freak show. Yeah. It's the freak show. Um, no, but like, uh, my favorite match of all time. I'm either gonna say it's you can give me any of the Rock or so like Rock for so called Steve Austin matches. Any of them, mm-hmm. they're up there. Uh, Shawn Michaels versus Steve Austin at WrestleMania 14. Yeah, 14. Um, history standpoint: Montreal Screwjob, Survivor Series, Shawn yeah. Michaels, Bret Hart. Um, just out of just that changed everything. Yeah. Uh, Sting's my favorite matches with Sting might be um, Sting versus uh, the Giant, as he was known at the time, but at the Big Show in WCW for the tag team championships because they were tag team. This is the thing I love Sting, but a big part of my love for Sting is that he does these tag teams where because he's a big man, so and I call him the big man, bigger man tag teams, and he does great tag team wrestling, and I love it. The Giant, Paul White, Big Big Show, whatever you want to call them, they had a great tag team for a while. I really enjoyed it. But then Big Show goes NWO, tries to get Sting over. That was kind of Hogan's entire plan. He could get Sting by getting Big Show. Doesn't work out that way. Sting goes Wolfpack instead, um, which was cool with me because I love Randy Savage and Kevin Nash, and the Wolfpack was legit. Yeah. Granted, his character, the character that he was playing, always works best as a loner. So, although I will say, gosh, there's the Shawn Michaels Triple H match, uh, Elimination Champ. I mean, you could choose any of their rivalry in 2001, 2002. Anywhere, any of those matches between the two of them are amazing. Um, Triple H Undertaker, Hell in a Cell. CM Punk Undertaker, WrestleMania 20, no, WrestleMania 30. Uh, Daniel Bryan, no, Daniel Bryan, Randy Orton, Batista, WrestleMania 30. From a story point, from a storyline, that might be the best one of all time. Shit, I just named a bunch of great matches, like amazing matches, but I think that last one takes the cake. Are you familiar with the Daniel Bryan story at all throughout that period? Uh, a little bit. Uh, like I've, I've picked up, I've gleaned a lot from the, like from the what culture stuff. Um, I mean, he seems like another one of those that like the fans were on his side, but the WWE didn't want to like put him over, um, and, or and so they kind of stretched it out, and then that was his crowning moment, right, where he finally mm-hmm. like took the took the crown that didn't like also he didn't also because that is that he won the beginning of the night to get into that match, and then mm-hmm. he won. so. This is the situation. Daniel Bryan, SummerSlam, beats John Cena clean. That's already off the bat. That's a holy shit moment. Mm -hmm. Incredible match. Terrific match. Beats him. Up to this point, Triple H has actually been a good guy as an authority figure. He comes in when he needs to to take care of business. But outside of that, he's fine. 
Um, Randy Orton comes in, cashes in his money in the bank. But the reason he does that is because right after, so as Triple H is holding up Daniel Bryan's arm, he turns him around, gives him the pedigree, waves for Randy Orton to come down, and then Randy Orton pittens him. And that begins a feud between Daniel Bryan and Randy Orton. Phenomenal feud. Gets derailed because they don't want Daniel Bryan to be the face of the company. But at this point, it doesn't matter because the fans are so behind him. It doesn't matter. The entire like approval now, the way that the crowd shows their approval for something or that they want something is mm-hmm. literally with his chant. That's yeah, how it yes chants. Yes chant. He, they do everything they can to try to say they bring back Batista because they're going to make Batista the hero around the Royal Rumble. That doesn't go over because people want Daniel Bryan. They realize this, and they put this in damage control. They basically say, okay, what we're going to do is we're going to punish Daniel Bryan throughout the story. We're going to make it the most grueling climb possible so that when he wins at WrestleMania, they call it the miracle on Bourbon Street. He had to beat Triple H before that on WrestleMania earlier on the card. He's injured during the match and after the match by Triple H. Goes into the match injured. Overcomes interference from Triple H and Stephanie McMahon. Takes out Randy Orton and then tap, makes Batista tap out. They call it the miracle on Bourbon Street. It's this amazing moment, this feel-good moment. The entire stadium in Louisiana, New Orleans, the entire stadium just starts chanting, yes. Yes, yes. It's this amazing thing that happens. Um, they'll make documentaries about it someday, I know, for sure. But, man. and Because uh, also adding fuel to that fire, like, he wasn't even in the Rumble, right, that year? so He, didn't he even... was in the Rumble, but he was eliminated, at, like, at spot 16. Oh, okay. okay. Really early in the Rumble, and people wanted to see him win because yeah. they wanted him to win. And then the following year, he's in the Rumble again, and Roman Reigns wins, and that's we, we should not even start on Roman Reigns. <laughs> that's another one of Vince's pet projects that doesn't go according to plan. Yeah, like even even bringing out The Rock to support him and try and get him over didn't work, doesn't work. Nope, to the point yeah. where when they start booing The Rock, The yeah. Rock looks around like he has no idea what's what, going on. What is happening right now? The Rock is the most overman in the history of wrestling, more over than Hulk Hogan. We'll yeah. say that in about 10 years when The Rock can still come back. And he also hasn't said anything super racist. Yeah. Well, awesome. That's wrestling. Great, yeah, that's great, like, great, great talking wrestling with you, buddy. I, I, and that's the thing. I could still talk more, but we shouldn't. Yeah. No, it's, I mean, uh, yeah, I, we, we are pushing three and a near and three and a half hours here. So <laughs> this is going to be just as long as the, uh, the Alex episode, I'm sure, but <laughs> it's quite all right. I'm enjoying the, the conversation, and I like as a reformed wrestling fan. Uh, Don't say that. Don't say like it's something that you can be reformed from. No. As a as a former wrestling fan, um, I who still is fascinated by um, by the industry and the ups and downs it has. Um, it's good getting to kind of just visit about it and kind of get uh, get brought up to speed on on it. So thank you for the. Uh, Thank you for the, the history lesson. Um, diving into topic four, trove topics. I uh, got a couple questions from the audience. Uh, this is where people tweet out and say, hey, talk about this thing um, uh, based on the news of the day or whatever the case may be. So uh, feel free to, if you want to be a part of the show, tweet at Snarky Starkey or at Trove Talk and use the hashtag Trove Topic. Uh, and we'll 
get you on the show. Uh, so up first, Jason Hales at HalesBells69, the originator of the PS We Love You XOXO movement in the in the kind of funny Facebook group. Great job there, Jason. Um, he asks, what would you like to see? Sorry. Yeah, no. Uh, what would you like to see in Destiny 2? Uh, so Ooh. rumors are breaking this week of uh, Destiny 2 being uh, A on PC and B being like a like going for a completely different feel of the uh, the test the Destiny franchise. You're still playing Destiny, right? Cameron? Hell yeah! Rise of Iron just came out. Yeah. I'm rocking that. I'm already yes. 352 light. It's a slow climb, but I was out of town for five days when everybody was doing the big climbs. So yeah, I'm a bit uh, behind, I admit. But uh, I've been out of it since Dark Below House of Wolves, whichever one came second. I did like both of those, and then House of Wolves came second. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I have, I have not been back. I didn't come back for Taken King. I'm Holy shit! You are. There's so much that like has changed since then. Oh yeah, I'm, I'm aware. It's just I am not. It's not the kind of thing I'm interested in diving back into. So, uh, so as far as what I'm looking to see in Destiny Two, um, it would be like a story mode and engaging story mode, like right out, right out the gate, mm -hmm. as opposed to what we got in Vanilla Destiny, because um, that just didn't didn't draw me in. Um, but out, outside of that, it's probably not something in my wheelhouse anyway so i'll defer to you on this one cameron what are you looking for in a destiny 2 i'm just gonna say right off the bat three things here that i want to see in it but before we get into those i want to say um what we do know from what has leaked is that the different feel that they're going is instead of giving you like patrol maps that then can be instanced for missions and things like that it looks like they're actually going to be doing um i forgot the way they described it but it's going to be like play in areas so essentially you have a massive sandbox-like area that you'll be going through for different things. Um, that's like kind of like the preliminary something mm -hmm. that they've been talking about. As far as like the feel of the game that they're going for, I don't know, like that could mean anything at this point. It's so open-ended. Um, but I did want to make uh, like a real point to say that what we do know is that they're going for a uh, play-in-live-in type scenario with the maps going forward. Uh, at least that's what has been gleaned. Of course, this could change at any moment because it still yeah. hasn't even been officially announced. Yes. Uh, what I will say, the three things that I want to see from Destiny 2 are A, um, more interaction between ghost and player. The ghost is essentially just like, like exposition. The exposition bot that follows you around. Yeah. Um, the ghost has some super funny and witty lines, especially with Nolan North voicing them. Especially in uh, like Rise of Iron, there's tons of stuff where your ghost is talking to you and like talking about stuff you've been through together, but you don't ever answer back. You don't make jokes with your ghost. The ghost just makes jokes on his own. Mm -hmm. I would love to see a just. I would love to see an interaction between ghost and player. Because in the few moments that you got that through the story mode, through the story missions, were great. Like when you call the ghost Little Light, and it upsets the ghost. And he says, don't call me that. Like, that's funny. These are funny moments that can happen. And it feels like you lose those, and it's upsetting. Because this could be a really cool dynamic between you and your ghost, but you don't ever get it. And part of it, I feel, is like they didn't write that in, because all you have to do is, like, go through any of Kotaku's, art Kotaku's articles by Jason Schreier about the story of Destiny and the changes that went through that we found out through the uh, lawsuit right. from their composer. 
we found out a whole shit ton of stuff about like what was scrapped, what was changed, very, very late into development. Mm. The game definitely suffered for it, but I'm glad to see that it's on track of where it's going now. I mean, in the original timeline that they talked about, we would have gotten Destiny 2 last year, wouldn't we? Was it, uh, we like, it wasn't it like every two years or something? No, or would I, it this we, would have gotten it, we would have gotten it this year, according yeah. to them. But that timeline was also where Destiny would have come out earlier than it actually did. So. Right. Uh, also, they've totally changed up things. and Like the Dreadnought and Oryx was supposed to be part of the original game, uh, not part of the Taken King expansion. That was done later with assets and stuff that they already developed for the Taken King uh, prior to that. Like there's a, a whole lot of stuff that happens. In so, uh, so that's one. The ghost, ghost interaction. Ghost player interaction. Second thing. The, the android. The city. The city is as much of a character in Destiny as anybody else, any of the other NPCs or anyone else, or any of your fellow players. The fact that you can never go into the city is incredibly upsetting. You never get to see the city that you're trying to protect. You're always up on your ivory tower. Um, I thought it would be, like I've talked about it before with Chandler on, and I'm pretty sure I mentioned on our podcast, just, for example, the dead orbit's all about getting off of Earth and spreading out like humanity across the, like, the universe as much as possible to try to escape the darkness and to prevent our species from going extinct. So wouldn't it be cool if they had like a shipyard that they all hung out at? Future War Cult has a temple in the city. We know that. Uh, New Monarchy would essentially just have their own political offices somewhere. And it would be really cool. Uh, and then to also have the consensus, which is essentially the governing body of humanity uh, and the guardians themselves abide by the consensus. Uh, like that's a major character group in Destiny lore, but you never interact, talk to, hear about anything about them outside of like what's going on in the grimoire or outside of it. Mm -hmm. Just there's no, who cares that you're trying to protect the city when you don't ever get to know the city yourself? Yeah. Do any of those factions, like is, does that mean anything in the expansions now? Or is it still like no. just a, you get a different colored cape? Uh, they do different things, like there are different weapons and yeah. stuff like that, but yeah, that's it. They haven't changed that. I wish they would, but... Yeah, it's, I mean, we, it, going to that, like, there's no investment there, if, if, if especially if you can just swap from one to the other and just grind out everything and get everything anyway. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I would love to see that, just more life brought to the city. Because there's so much opportunity there to do that. Um, the third thing that I would like to see is uh, a new way, like a new leveling system, a new light system, a new way of doing character progression. Um, that is, I like what they're doing with light right now. I just wish they would do away with uh, levels in general. Okay. So right now you level from one to 40, and then once you hit 40, you're just maxed out at 40, and then you're concerned about your light level. And your light level is essentially your gear level. I would, have prefer, I would prefer it if they just did gear level from beginning to finish. It's just a much simpler thing to follow. You don't have to like, worry about grinding experience for levels. Um, it becomes grinding experience for weapons to level those up. That's fine. I love that. 
uh, I love using motes of light to kind of like circumvent that once you're a, like a high enough level. Or once you're further into the progression of the game, you get motes of light like candy, and so you just use them to upgrade your equipment that's new. Mm-hmm. I love the infusion system. I think that's a brilliant way to keep old gear relevant, and I think that should be from the beginning uh, with legendary gear going forward. Uh, I think they just need to do a hard reset on a lot of stuff. And something that they did ha- say with uh, like the rumors from unverified sources have come out saying that compared to what the Taken King was to the original Destiny being a soft reset, like a soft reboot on how a lot of their systems and uh, the game worked, that Destiny 2 is going to be focused on the big fixes. And I'm hoping that these are some of the big fixes. So, Cool. Great. Thank you for your input as my Destiny 2 uh, knowledge is, or my Destiny knowledge period is severely lacking. Uh, and then uh, up next, the uh, the other question we got in from Brandon Gann at GamesGan. Great, uh, great dude. Thanks again, Brandon, for writing in. Uh, what is your most anticipated thing to see at the PSX keynote, confirmed or not? Um, so PSX got announced finally. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we talked about it when I came on uh, I don't know if we talked about it on the show itself, but uh, we did. Like, <laughs> Which I, is why I, it's never heard the light of day. Right. So yeah, <laughs> at, like at PAX, me and a handful of other people had been kind of given the inside scoop that um, PAX was going to be first weekend of December um, in a non-San Francisco, California city, and then like a couple people later said, "Oh yeah, it's going to be Anaheim." And then we were also told that it was going to be announced September 9th, and then September 9th came and went, and no announcement. And then uh, in the last week, it it leaked when the website went live. And then like an hour or two later, um, they made it so you can actually, like they formally announced it and you could buy tickets and stuff. Um, Registered. Mm-hmm. First, first weekend in Anaheim, um, uh, first weekend in December in Anaheim, just as, as had previously been rumored and mentioned. Um, no idea why, why it took a few extra weeks off of what we were told, but uh so that's happening. Um, you're getting to go this year, so that's <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, I'm really excited. Uh, not only just because I get to go to PSX, but also because I get to talk to people in a much more business like business like manner than kind of funny live was. Mm-hmm. As far as like industry people that I want to talk to, you're gonna have some uh, some business cards and meet uh, meet developers and hand out business cards and try and get them. Uh, on the Naughty Gamers mailing list and stuff? You know it, and I already, like, my my pseudo little brother has already designed business cards for me. I'm just going to have him make a few alterations, and they're going to be business cards that nobody's going to forget, but for the right reasons. Okay. So uh, are they going to be strange and weird? Yes, but are they going to be, like, gross and disturbing? No. Good call. That is a, a solid call there. Um, so uh, you as someone new to PSX, but you've followed presumably and, and seen the keynotes from the previous two, at least yes. the last one, I imagine. Um, so yeah, what, a, what is a big, what is your most anticipated thing to, to see at PSX? I know it's the same thing that we say every year, but like the name change. Like I just <laughs> want to see the name change. change. I just want the name you just, change. You just want to correct your spelling. I just want to swap two letters. It's, is that too <laughs> much to ask? Is it too much to ask to just swap two letters? Clearly, clearly it is. Oh. Um, that's, I mean, yeah, that's like, even even if that were to happen, I wouldn't say that that's 
Like, unless they have a bad show, that's not going to be the biggest thing. Oh, no. Like, the nerdiest thing for, like, our little circle of people. Yeah. That's... Like, so many people yeah. don't care about that. Um, uh, I, it, I'm going to say, and uh, it's not like, I don't know if it'll be there. I think it'll be there, because that's when they, they, like, they showed more of it last year than I think anybody was anticipating, but Final Fantasy VII, um, mm-hmm. I think with uh, Final Fantasy XV, will have finally fingers crossed have, have launched at that point in time um and so this is like a few days after that launch i think they'll yeah. maybe do like a victory lap of hey you can go buy this game now finally and so now we're focused on final fantasy 7 remake and here's where we're at with it um, we didn't see it at e3 um so i think that's i think that's a shoe in to like that is mm-hmm. easily got the biggest pop of of last year's psx um especially with how far they had developed it yeah it was like the and I mean, in terms of that, like we only saw maybe like a few minutes of that first bombing mission, but it was definitely like we were seeing gameplay, um, mm-hmm. which was more than anybody anticipated. Uh, uh, it, it was further than anybody anticipated it, it being along. Um, so I think we'll get, I think we'll get a new look at that and maybe more concrete information of when like part one of that is going to come out or whatever. Since they're doing it as like a multi-part fashion or something like that um so yeah that's that's what i i would say my most anticipated thing is even though that that's not like i'm not overly excited for that game mm-hmm. final fantasy 7 is fine um but it's not the final fantasy remake i've been clamoring for for years i want i want a remake of six um uh as i touched on in my pilot episode that being my mm-hmm. favorite game of all time um but yeah i think that's i think that's a solid we'll see something of that since we didn't see it at E3. We'll see some kind of where are they at with, with Final Fantasy. Um, I would say in the same vein as something that I may not be excited for, but I know everybody else will be for, um, a sneak peek at the next Naughty Dog project. Yeah. I mean, do you think they'll... Uh, do you think maybe we'll get a taste of uh, the DLC, the single-player DLC from... Uh, I think we'll get... T- we'll definitely... See, we might even see a demo, like a live player, like you can play a part of the new DLC that's stored. Maybe n- not play it, but they'll show a trailer for it for sure. Yeah. However, I think what we would probably be seeing also is like... Um, do you remember, I think it was at the first PSX where they did the first tease for Drake's Fortune? Not Drake's Fortune, um, Descend? Uh, well, was- the, 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 at the first PSX was the first gameplay... They did gameplay on stage. Um, yeah. Bruce came out and played it, and that was that he fell through the world, and and the audience was incredibly forgiving. Um, uh, <laughs> and then and then at PSX two was the that was when they um, revealed like the the opening scene with Sam and the the dialogue options. That's what, everybody yeah. was like, oh my god, that's amazing! And then it ended up being like two things in the in the in yeah. The it, it had nothing to do with the game. They just thought yeah, it'd be nice. You get to choose which one of the thing you want to tell your brother about. Yeah. Um, was I was actually trailer. thinking of the like first teaser trailer that actually didn't pan out the way we thought it would. Oh, um, the you're talking like the Madagascar voiceover with the original, the original Sam actor. That was yeah. That I was, think that was like the VGAs. That's what that like, was. That was the VGAs. Okay. It was it was, it was yeah. like a year or two before because this was yeah the first PSX was like the first time they were showing off the game, um, first time they showed off gameplay footage. Um, and they played it. They did a live demo on the on the stage. And it so was... I'm thinking we'll definitely see a live demo of 
at least on the stage and then like trailers throughout the, the show, of course, for just as we're walking the floor, we're going to see stuff about the uh, story expansion or the story DLC. But what I'm also thinking we might see is like a little teaser like we saw with uh, the Madagascar voiceover for the next project, whether that's Last of Us 2, whatever it might happen to be, an original IP, which they've been rumored to be working on. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we'll see something from that. It's uh, a solid, solid choice. Uh, and that's that's all we had for uh, for uh, uh, actual uh, questions asked in. So I just wanted to kind of continue opening it up into more PSX talk mm-hmm. uh, since this will be your first one. Uh, like, what are you excited for in PSX outside of like that keynote announcement? Uh, you mentioned excited to get to see everybody, <laughs> get to get to kind of schmooze and make trying to make those business connects. It's something like that, but mostly. Um... I'm hoping that some people that I got to talk to at Kind of Funny Live 1 that I didn't get to talk to at Kind of Funny Live 2 will be there that I can talk to. Um, I don't know. I'm still trying to figure out where my, like, where I am, like, where I'm looking at going in the industry. Uh, Because right now what I'm doing with Chandler at Naughty Gamers, that's great, but, you know, that's not paying them bills, you know? Yeah. It's not the... Is not a gamer's going to be the like this big future thing for us? Maybe, maybe not. But I'd like to know what direction I'm like. I can look at the heading in mm-hmm. for that because uh, I, I I have an interest in this industry and I have a passion and love for it. But it's a question of what can I offer it, and I'm still trying to figure that out. And that's a huge question to answer. And I doubt I'll find the answer at PSX. But at the same time, I do want to just you know talk to some people, catch up with people, friends of ours that I haven't seen since Kind of Funny Live 2, yeah. some of them that couldn't go to Kind of Funny Live 2, uh, who are going to be at PSX. Uh, I'm excited to see just old friends again. Yeah. Uh, but also, I'm just really excited to go to an actual industry thing, because mm-hmm. all I've ever done is Kind of Funny Live stuff, yeah. which is like our community th- something, but to go to like an actual industry thing. I'm excited to see that. I'm excited to I, like you put it, the schmoozing, but I'm I'm looking at it more just, you know, rub elbows with people who I admire in this industry yeah. and who, you know, contribute to the things that I love. And I want to just do that, I guess. That's a huge part of it. Just socialize, just which is so funny coming from me. Um, I'm, a, I'm a big old hermit yeah. in my life, but I just want to, you know, I want to meet with people, hopefully some people uh, who... Like, they haven't announced whether or not they're going to be there or not. I'm hoping that they'll be there so I can talk to them again. Cool. Or talk to them uh, for the first time. There you go. Um, do you anticipate, like, I think VR will probably be a big showcase oh, on the floor. Yeah, I'm going to be rocking a bunch of VR for sure. Yeah. Try and get get some, uh, get your hands on that. Mm-hmm. Uh, d- download the PlayStation app, the play, or the Experience PlayStation app, because that's what they've been doing at every, every show for the last uh, uh, year or so. It's like... You have to sign up for your time on the app. Uh, oh, okay, that's interesting. All right. Yeah, I think it, I think it actually started at last year's PlayStation Experience, and it was like, okay, we're gonna have like these are the half-hour blocks, and we've got like twenty people, twenty slots in each block, and so just find a time and and sign up for it, and that's so you don't have to wait in line for all day. It's just that sounds there awesome. for that, that block of time, but they fill up super fast. So, um, but yeah, that's that's kind of been there their uh, their way of tackling VR specifically. Um, and yeah, I imagine 
with it being out on the market um, and maybe people will actually be able to like buy new uh, new units by then um, I imagine it'll be a huge like any anything that would have been like two years ago they would have had like ps3 setups and, and Vita setups at the first um, mm-hmm. first one I think you'll see like that plus um, in terms of uh, VR setups oh we haven't talked about it the slew of Vita releases that are going to be announced. Oh, of course. I mean, you will, you will probably get a handful of Vita games, um, and I imagine they will be, like, I think, uh, like an announcement of something like Undertale, coming to Vita or Ooh, that'd be or huge. Um, PlayStation, would be a that'd be a huge get. Um, I mean, they've already announced that. Stardew Valley is gonna will should be coming out around that time around December I think is when they're trying to get the, mm-hmm. those ports out by end, by end of the year. Uh, I don't think Stardew Valley will come to Vita, but but oh that's uh, too it's too much for Vita. Yeah, you, I'm, I'm sure you can play it on remote play um, if you want to deal with like the back touchpad and stuff. Oh no no I'm good. I'm yeah, good. that's I mean I yeah I don't I don't anticipate we'll see like new exclusives announced for. For the Vita, but you'll have, you. I'm sure, the Vita games. Fo- following, following, yeah, the trends of the last couple of years, you'll have Geo come out for like five minutes, and he'll be like, "And here's, here's new games coming to PlayStation, and like five of them are also coming to Vita as cross by, and it'll be part of like the indie segment of, of games or something like that." Geo Corsi's my man. I love Geo Corsi. Yeah. Geo, I follow him on Twitter. Uh, we have had some playful banter back and forth. Mm-hmm. Big fan of that gentleman. He's a he's a delightful guy. Yeah, I get uh, I like getting to see. He uh, I gave him one of my uh, one of my Trevor Trove pins at uh, mm-hmm. him and Adam Boys. They were uh, hanging out visiting with uh, some of us at the uh, the kind of funny party at PAX, and uh, I showed them off my pins, and they were like, "This is amazing! You have your own pins!" And I was like, "Yeah, <laughs> enjoy." Um, yeah, super cool dudes. Uh, and this was I mean this was after Adam Boys had already left, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, yeah, super cool. Uh, I look forward to getting to see them again. Um, yeah, I mean, like it's it's cool getting to go to these things and getting to see industry people as well as friends and and friends that I'm making with industry people. Um, shows like that. Yeah, I mean, like I like PSX for me tends to be like this is when I'm gonna go and get go hands on with like a lot of the indie games and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, like I don't really like I'm trying to think if I like I played Ratchet and Clank um, a little bit at last year's PSX and I played like I did the Uncharted Four multiplayer, um, but for the most part, like because the lines for the big first party games are just <laughs> so, so long, long um, I'm like yeah nope uh, I'll I'll just wait a couple months and and play it when it comes out like Horizon Zero Dawn I'm sure is going to be a huge oh, have a huge presence. At, uh, at I hope they have those block things in the PlayStation Experience app for that. Yeah. Um, so that'll be, like, that's probably one I'll just be like, well, um, un- un- like, unless I can get in there on, like, media time or something like that um, and and get to kind of experience it outside of waiting two hours in line for the game, I'll probably just pass on it. Uh, now that South Park got delayed, I imagine we'll see that there in whatever oh, that'll be awesome. it's in. Um, so, uh hopefully get to but that's another one that like at PAX 
line to play like the demo they had was super <sighs> long and, and hours and they, like they capped it like a couple hours into the day so yeah i mean there's there's a ton of stuff out there that i'm sure we'll see and uh um it'll be interesting because i think everybody kind of over anticipated what kind of big announcements we would get last year and then when you only had really Nino Kuni 2 and what they showed of, of Final Fantasy 7 mm -hmm. remake, like everything else I think was kind of underwhelming. Definitely. Uh, so, oh, I mean, they, I, I will say we'll also probably see some Tim Schafer time because he's Ooh, been yeah. a staple. Uh, he'll have uh, Full Throttle. Uh, we'll probably come out and announce a release date for that because that's been the trend. The first one they announced from Fandango. <laughs> Uh, and then last year they announced the release date of Mandango and or, and and announced Day of the Tentacle or or something like that. But they announced Day of the Tentacle and then uh, uh, no last PSX they gave a release window for Day of the Tentacle mm -hmm. and announced Full Throttle. So I think this year we'll see a release date for Full Throttle and maybe something for like Psychonauts two. I think we'll. I'm pretty sure Psychonauts two will see something from them on. Yeah, because that's that's probably. I mean that's what they're working on right now. So yeah. And uh, and and the Psychonauts VR will probably be on the on the game floor. Oh, that'd so, be awesome! Yeah, I hope they do panels. Uh, that's one of the things I missed of last year that they did. They had a lot of stuff the first year. They had like three or four rooms going where they had like panels every couple hours. It was more of a like kind of a, it was more of a PAX um, than last year. Last year was like we're doing five or six panels on this Saturday in the one. Uh, in the one main hall, and then Sunday it was that space was used entirely for the Capcom Cup, which I don't really have any kind of investment in. So I'd love to see more panels of developers talking about games and and the work on games and kind of like the industry stuff that we were talking earlier. Like I love the stories of making the games, and I'd mm -hmm. love to hear more of that. Like even last year, like a ton of us were in the room early just so we had like great seats for the 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 PS I love you XOXO panel, but the panel right beforehand was like talking about the AI in Call of Duty. And I was okay, fascinated by fast. it. Yeah, that sounds fascinating. It was, I mean, it was like other people were like snoozing next to me, but I like it was interesting. And it's the like that, it's those kinds of things that like it's why GDC is probably the show I would love to cover more oh than anything gosh. else. Yes. Um, just to go and like listen to developers talk about developing design choices and stuff like that. Um, oh, so I'd love yes. to cover that even more than like an E3. Um, E3 is just, E3 is all flash and flare. It's not the guts. It's not the design. It's not the, like, GDC is where you get the good stuff. Yeah. And so I, I, I like, even that one, I was like, this would, this is not the audience for that. This is like, a, this is a GDC type panel. I'm loving it, but I knew the, the audience was, uh, was not necessarily with them, but uh, I I'd still love to see like that opportunity, that option, because um, yeah, the the panels of the first PSX are probably some of my favorite things of the first PSX, and they give you something to do if you're not interested in waiting in line to play something for four hours. So that sounds yeah. awesome. I want I want panels. I want I want to go to something that has panels. Mm -hmm. Like this is my first tra like industry show. This is my first trade show that I've ever been to. And I'm excited. I'm yeah. out of my mind excited about this. So. Well, I look forward to seeing you there, buddy. For sure. Glad, glad we're uh, glad you're able to make it to this one. Yeah. So, 
Uh, I think with that and sitting at probably nearing four hours, yep, about 3.45, right on par there with the Alex episode. Awesome. Uh, we'll go ahead and call it. Thank you again to my guest, uh, uh, Cameron Abbott from At Naughty Gamers for joining me. Go ahead and plug everything you want to plug, Cam. As, All right, cool. As we do this little outro. So I'm the Reverend Cameron Abbott, the unsexiest comedian that you know in the man's face is built for radio. You can follow me at unsexy. I'm sorry, at unsexiest comedy. Uh, you can follow me on facebook.com slash naughtygamers. Naughtygamers.com has links to basically all of the Naughty Gamers shit. Um, SoundCloud.com slash naughtygamers. Everything goes up there. So, Awesome. I'm Trevor Starkey at Snarky Starkey on Twitter, or you can follow uh, Trove Talk at Trove Talk. Uh, enjoy this episode or last episode with Alex O'Neill or the previous pilot episode that was only half as long as these two with just me talking because that makes sense. I didn't have somebody else to talk with. And uh, until next time, thanks for being here. Insert closing tag that I still need to come up with. Uh...